I'm just on my way to a cooler party, but I thought I'd stop by. Play the Black Eyed Peas. It's the best thing that's ever happened in our lives. Hashtag monsters. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that will never again receive an immoral proposition from a man. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. Thank heaven we both have a criminal turn of mind. Yeah, that's how we stole all this podcasting equipment. (laughs) Shh! (laughs) Don't let Mr. Viner find out. Oh, God. I'll take my chances with Officer Bummer. (laughs) Welcome back, cousins. We are here for our final full recap of Downton Abbey, Series 5. That's right. This is Episode 9 slash The Christmas Special. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever you would like to call it. I, did it have like a... Don't they usually have like a special name? Like, you oh, know, yeah. the season or like Summer in the Highlands? Have, yeah, this one should have been like hijinks at Brancaster. <laughs> right. But uh, the, I didn't see one. The Brancaster Paradox. Or <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking of an episode of The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> right. Uh, yes. So we've done this or we're doing this <laughs> yeah. currently now. We are. Yes. And uh, we'll do some sort of wrap up next week. Yeah. We're not completely sure what form that's going to take. But, you know, whatever we feel like. Yeah. Whatever, guys. <laughs> That's our attitude. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> but before we get into too much whatever, it's time to announce our cousin of the week. Ooh. Cousin Esther writes, dearest cousins, every week I think of some observation that I could have written to you, but kick myself for how many days have gone by, knowing that surely many other cousins have beat me to whatever point I was planning to make. But since today is still Monday and I was just listening to you with a fresh thought, I figure now's my chance. When discussing the scene of all the ladies in Rosa's room while she's trying on her getaway outfit... You mentioned that the Dowager suggests Mary not have a career in the diplomatic. You didn't say anything about this, but I thought it maybe could be a very subtle foreshadowing of Mary marrying Charles Blake. I know, I know, Baron Fellows, subtlety, probably not, but maybe. (laughs) After all, Blake works for the government, and it's the new Labor Party in charge, and he's already being sent off to, uh, Poland? I can't (laughs) remember. But anyway, it seems to me that maybe a diplomatic future is in store for Charles Blake, and then, if they got married, Mary would be in that position as well. And then they'll all start calling him Shrimpy, because that's apparently just what you do. (laughs) Anyway, something to consider and hold out hope for, because I just really, really don't want him to go away. I heart him so very much. Also, while I have your attention, I just wanted to echo the sentiments of how excited I am for the new season of Mr. Selfridge, but even more so about your podcast. As soon as I heard you say, nailing it, I got giddy. During the last season of Selfridge, I was training for my first half marathon, and each week I would take you guys with me on my long runs, and I would inevitably end up silently cursing you for making me laugh out loud while out on the trail, nearly tripping myself, having to stop to catch my breath, doubled over in laughter, (laughs) people looking at me. It was all very embarrassing. (laughs) Then the next week, I would think to myself, well, surely they're not going to break up that kid with the poking stick again. (laughs) So off I would go, and then, damn you, you'd bring up the kid with the stick, and I was dying laughing all over again. Thankfully, I have said had an ankle injury and have had to give up my bunny running career so now i can just listen to you as god intended sitting my in my car in the car loop waiting to pick up my kids from school eating donuts <laughs> keep up the great work can't believe the season is almost over cordially cousin esther thank you very much cousin esther uh man that stick poking kid yeah i missed you monsieur <laughs> yeah oh we yeah i mean that's the best thing that's ever happened in our lives basically <laughs> uh much. yeah that's a great theory though yes uh, it is. and 
some heretofore unparalleled subtlety on Baron Fellows' part. Yeah, that's right. If, in fact, it is true. Yeah. And I am definitely Team Blake, so I'm very much uh, in favor of this. Right. Well, we'll see how Team Blake you are by the end of this week's episode. Indeed. Oh, if you would like... To send us a telegram, you can email us. We are upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com. You can send us a tweet and or carrier pigeon at 5 Maggie Smiths. That's at 5, the number 5 Maggie Smiths. Or search up yours downstairs exclamation point on Facebook. Okay, now, for uh, reals. Yes. Uh, you know, Brancashire babies. Yeah. Or whatever. Uh, we yeah, I know. I was trying to think of a word for hijinks that starts with B, but. I can't think of any. Yeah. Wow. Uh, nope. Yeah. Got nothing. Well, I'm so glad we've spent the first <laughs> 90 seconds of this recap failing to be well, funny. Well, we've still got probably a couple hours here, so. Yeah, that's true. Strap in, everybody. <laughs> it's the Christmas special, so we're going to be here for a while. Yes. Uh, we start off with a car pulling up to an imposing edifice, and then we see uh, Mary walking into a prison. They try to disguise who it is for like 10 seconds because they got a lot of time to fill. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. It's a lady murder prison. Yes. I forget who coined that. Somebody coined that on Twitter or Facebook. Yes. Uh, but yeah, lady murder prison. Strong mm-hmm. enough for a man, but made for a woman. <laughs> In Downton, Thomas is supervising packing, and Lord Grantham tells Bates he hopes everything will be resolved while they're away and asks how Anna is doing. Bates says it breaks his heart, but she's strong. Lord Grantham sees Thomas and says it's good of him to take this on because going to Brancaster is like a choice. Right. Anyway. That is your employee. Um, anyway, apparently Lord Cinderby has rented Brancaster Castle for the grouse, uh, which, you know, I would call out for being unnecessary, but this did air like a month or a month and a half right, after right. the final episode that we just recapped ended. Right. Uh, Lord Grantham says he expects that things will be done in the most lickety-spit manner, and uh, Thomas feels up to it. And Lord Grantham says that Lord Cinderby has taken his own butler to Brancaster Castle, which will surely cause disruption. Right. And so Thomas will need to be on his toes. And then he says that Bates will pack, but that Thomas should watch. And then Bates and Thomas are very, like, snipey toward each other. And it's like, this again? Yeah. We're all very bored. Yeah. Well, you know, don't worry. We're about to separate them. So what's the Brancaster butler doing all these days, you know? He's on holiday. Oh, sweet. They say it later. Oh, good. Well, also, presumably, it was more of a, oh, hey, I'm bringing my own butler, so, uh, vamoose. <laughs> Why don't you go on down to Home Depot or something, buddy? Downstairs, Hughes says that she will help Baxter pack. She says she's talked it over with Mary and Edith, so I guess that means that Anna has been Edith's maid, as we were wondering. Boy, how complicated for Anna. Yeah. Does she just not, did she just think, I'm sorry, my lady. <laughs> lady Mary says I have to sign this non-disclosure agreement and I can't talk to you. <laughs> no, that is to be the lady's maid of two people that hate each other. Right? Yeah. Very complex. I mostly says it'll be hard to cope with three ladies at once. What with tweeds and evening dresses and tea gowns. This is like that scene in What Hot American Summer where Janine Garofalo and David Hyde Pierce both read about, about yeah. camp directing and scientific things, right. respectively. And he's like, you know, the first American summer camp started in the Catskill Mountains. Exactly. Uh, Hughes, startled by this outdated tea gowns reference, says that they're not in the 1890s now. Carson says, more's the pity, which I was starting to be annoyed with him for, but then I remembered how I always wish it was the 1990s now, so... You're a regular old Carson. Very good, my lord. I'm not sure I wish it was the 1890s. 
1990s? Yeah. yeah or I the guess, 1890s. Well, I guess I don't wish it per se, but... You just miss that you know about the pop culture now. And if you could go back to the 1990s knowing now, knowing well, then what you know now... Yeah. Also, it was more feminist. It was more feminist. But now we have the internet. Right. Which is way... Cool. Like, oh, like legit, honestly, if you asked me what would you rather have, total equal rights or the internet probably the internet i think that would be a fair decision to make uh i don't see how complete equal rights are going to help me get the internet (laughs) whereas i can see how the internet could help (laughs) me get complete equal rights yeah i don't know cousins what do you think internet versus uh complete (laughs) equal rights we're willing we're taking calls now that's we're not taking we're not we we don't have the ability to take calls i mean we could well, I guess so, yeah. But, like, not right now. Nobody knows oh, right. when well, that's to call. What, that's what I'm saying. It could it's be a, any time. It's very mysterious. Dinner, literally, any time. <laughs> We're like the night. <laughs> At the prison, Mary is let through various barred doors because they're going to drag this out as long as humanly possible. They certainly are. Uh, everyone's at breakfast. Are you sure it's breakfast? But they're all sitting around a round table. Hmm. It felt like morning light to me, but I suppose it could be a lunch. I don't know. Anyway, the Dowager asks if Mary took a cake with a file in it, and Lord Grantham says that the Dowager would visit Dankard if she were locked up, and the Dowager says that she would go only to see that the locks were sound, which is a solid fuck you to Dankard, which (laughs) I'm in favor of, but I'm like, if you don't like her, why do you still have her? She, uh... Well, because she doesn't want to find a new maid and because she doesn't like anybody. So it's not like she'd be able to, you know, improve on that front. That's all true. No. Uh, McGee says, well, Bates was found innocent. So Anna will be too, because that makes sense. And we've all had this plot line before. (laughs) Right. That's, Uh, uh, yeah, sound legal reasoning. Lord Grantham says they don't deserve their luck. And it's like, how are you making Lord Grantham (laughs) self-aware without Baron Fellows also becoming self-aware? It's a very strange uh, counter-argument for the transitive axiom in television script writing. Yeah. You know, but there's only one person who can be at fault in that case. Mm -hmm. Neem! Absolutely. It's your, you have one job! (laughs) Baron Fellows is like the Dick Wolf of Downton Abbey. (laughs) (laughs) If you aren't aware, Dick Wolf, uh, creator of the long-running Law & Order franchise. Yes. Uh, And our joke about him, anytime (laughs) that there's a rip from the headline story, is like, who let Dick Wolf see a newspaper? Right. Yeah. Because he doesn't understand what he reads. He really doesn't. (laughs) As their recent episode about Gamergate... Uh, explains. Uh, the Dowager Countess says she's heard from Ma- Rosamond, which is handy since we haven't. Right. Uh, she's apparently going to try to get to the sale of the Della Francesca, and Lord Grantham's like, oh, good, we'll be represented. It's like, why do you, Wait. isn't your agent at Sotheby's the only representation that you need? Right. Like, does what somebody is- have to, like, kiss the painting goodbye? <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't want to hurt its feelings. It's like, we need somebody in a ridiculous hat to represent the family. <laughs> Oh, I'll go. <laughs> Isabel says it's a pity that Lord Grantham can't go, and he says he's already said goodbye to the painting, and he shares a glance with McGee, which is, like, fine, but I feel like they're still making, like, way too much of a big deal about this painting. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe if we had ever heard of this painting before, like, that'd be one thing. Although, man, watching this, I was like, man, like, Bricker seems like part of another age at this point it's so weird how that always happens like it's like Mm -hmm. like but it's such a dense series even the episodes where nothing happens you're still (laughs) like what yeah a lot of things went down (laughs) 
Lord Grantham says he must dash off to be in York by three. And McGee says, you should have gone with Mary. I feel like McGee has gotten more McGee. That's, yeah, I, think- I can't tell if she actually has or just I have. Right. <laughs> it's just like, uh, you know, it's like an E.T. where Elliot and E.T. feel the same thing. <laughs> Basic. Is it? Yeah, it is. All right. Yeah, whenever McGee uh, nags Lord Grantham, I nag you. Well, that explains why you're always singing that cow song around mm-hmm. the house. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Grantham then cryptically says that he did not want to kick his heels before his appointment. So basically, he could have accompanied Mary to on this stressful visit to prison to visit her maid. But he was like, yeah, but then I'd have like 45 minutes to kill. What's really funny is that I forgot where Mary went and why. <laughs> like, not just now in this moment. Just when she said it, I was like, oh, Mary must be, like, shopping or something. <laughs> Such an uncharacteristic thing for her to go to prison. <laughs> no, but McGee's point was that he could have given Mary lunch. Oh, right. And, like, fine. But, like, that's not kicking up your heels. That's just I, eating lunch, dude. He's, uh, look, just kind of selfish. At any rate. Well, then, I think there's a strong argument for this to be lunch. I guess you're right then. Yeah. Well, McGee doesn't come down for lunch for, for breakfast. breakfast. No, you're right. It was lunch. Um, McGee asks if the Dowager has any plans while they're all gone visiting at Brancaster, and she says Shrimpy's men have found the Princess Karagan, and she will come to the Dowager Countess's house. She heard all this yesterday. McGee says she must be looking forward to seeing her, uh, but she's not. New. Branson then asks why she went to all the trouble of finding her. Isabel's like, that's what I'd like to know. Brava! (laughs) The Dowager says, you know me, never complain, never explain, which is a great motto. Yeah. I should be better about this. (laughs) Edith says she doesn't usually have much trouble complaining, and the Dowager Countess gives her a look, because guess who complains the most, Edith? It's Edith. Yeah, it's Edith. Also, you know, who told her she could stand up for herself? Who, Edith? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are you criticizing my criticism of Edith? No, I was adding on to it. Oh, good. Okay. I was expanding. Just checking. I was amplifying. I thought you were mad at me. No. (laughs) (laughs) Or Edith. Or both. No, we're all good. Uh, In prison, Mary has finally arrived at the visiting area, and Anna asked if she gave a false name, which she did not. So Anna's worried that the papers will find out. Uh, But Mary says it'll show that the Crawleys don't believe she is guilty. Also... Does anybody give a shit about the Crawleys anymore after everything that they've pulled? Right. Yeah, like, I can't see... they would see... just show up, like, in the wacky news section. Like, <laughs> what barmy old Yorkshire landowner's daughter went to a prison? Yes, it was the Crawleys, but who cares? They're in Yorkshire. <laughs> Anna says that they weave their web with lies and innuendo. Uh, whatever. But Mary says that they only... Does she mean the papers? She means everyone. Well, I mean, when you look at her life over the past few years, I suppose a certain amount of paranoia is justified. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Suicide by pie. (laughs) (laughs) That's a real thing that happened on this show, boys and girls. Yep. Suicide by pie. Not a joke. Anyway, Mary says that the police only have one witness, and that isn't enough, because any character witness could prove it isn't in her nature, and they would all testify to that. And as we saw last time, character witnesses always work. (laughs) Downstairs, Carson tells Mrs. Hughes he doesn't like Mary's visit. Suppose it gets into the papers, which, again, they should be so lucky to be in the goddamn (laughs) papers at this point. Shrimpy and Susan are in disgrace. Rose is married a Jewish man. Mm -hmm. Uh... 
Boy, it'd be a real conflict of interest for Edith. Oh my god, it really would. Yeah. Why doesn't she put things in the papers? Yeah, she's god. got info. Yeah, listen, memo to Edith. You own a newspaper. <laughs> Why are you hanging out with these people? Right. Anyway, my point is, basically everyone associated with this family, apart from the Dowager Countess, has behaved in ways and has done things that polite society are going to be like, ew. Yeah. Were you not listening to Thing 1 last week? Yeah. Like, he made it clear that mm-hmm. there's already plenty of impropriety. That was like two weeks ago, I Well, think. whatever week it was. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Mrs. Hughes thinks that the public would like Lady Mary for going to prison. Uh, and, you know, depending on what their view of her is entirely possible yeah, could be uh judging from you know what i've read on the internet about lady mary she's not popular in today's society <laughs> so uh anyway carson doesn't like the public poking their grubby noses into it and i'm like well maybe uh you know everybody's grubby noses shouldn't have killed mr green <laughs> death by nose <laughs> Carson enters the servants' hall where Thomas is looking down the barrel of a gun. Not the way you're thinking. (laughs) Right. Careful. I'll do the jokes. Carson asks if he shouldn't be in the gun room, which, you know, that adds up. Uh, But Thomas says that Mr. Jackson is in there with the underkeeper and he didn't want to be in their way. Uh, He says, Carson says that he's in his way, but Bates says he's glad for the chance to check on... Thomas and his gun, you know, cleaning abilities. Thomas says that he doesn't need checking, and he will be loading for Lord Grantham at the hunt, which Bates cannot do, because every once in a while there is a random thing that Bates can't do. Because of his limp. Because of his limp. Which still is a totally legit thing. Right. Yep, that's definitely definitely an identifying characteristic, and it's been very much a hardship for him. Sure. Baxter says that Thomas's father was a shooting man, but Carson says that killing sparrows by the gasworks is hardly the same thing. Uh, it's, it's a gun. You are shooting a bird. Right. You that point, is the same thing. You point the gun at the bird. You pull the trigger. It it's dead. Yeah. That's uh. You yeah. hang it till high. End of story. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about it. Anyway, Carson huffs off, and Mosley tells Bates that it must have been hard missing his visit with Anna, but he says that Mary wanted to go, and they only allow one visitor a day. Baxter says it might help. Bates says he'd cut his arm off if it would help. Thomas says, I don't think that'd be sensible, Mr. Bates. We can't have you wobbly at both ends. Uh, Yeah, so again, just very conveniently, it's like the disappearing, reappearing disability. Right. Uh, Uh, You know, and I liked, you know, I liked Thomas saying that because I like him, but uh, Thomas is also a little wobbly at one end, lest we forget. Right, his blighting. Oh, God. Anyway. (laughs) Back at the Carson cave, Carson pours some wine for Mrs. Hughes that the family never got around to drinking. Uh, if you recall, at this time, it was thought of as very gauche to drink much wine. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Hughes says it's a nice wine, and Carson says you can't go far wrong with a Margo. And Mrs. Hughes smiles and nods, <laughs> uh, thinking something along the, you know, proto lines of, please stop mansplaining this wine to me. <laughs> Carson points to a folder that apparently has some house listings in it, and he says that those four are real contenders because they include a bedroom for a maid. Mrs. Hughes sarcastically asks where the butler's pantry is, but Carson says if they're offering bed and breakfast, there should be somebody there to run it, which is true. Right. Mrs. Hughes says she doesn't know. Otherwise, it's just bed. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not bad. No, I mean, yeah. Mrs. Hughes doesn't know about, you know, the whole proposition, but Carson says they should go look at the houses and then talk, and Mrs. Hughes looks quite anxious. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mary walks downstairs and sees Lord Grantham and asks if it's worth seeing Murray again. I want to see Murray. <laughs> we all and do. And his mustache. That's right. Uh, and asks why he can't just get her out. <laughs> Fucking clients, man. No, Whatever I mean, job you're in. And I think that this episode does a poor job with Mary. Because, yes, she's very petulant and impatient. Mm-hmm. But, like, she knows what due process of law is. Yeah. She had a governess, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Lord Grantham says Murray says that the police have uncovered something but won't tell him what. Uh, McGee and Branson walk up. Lord Grantham asks McGee what Susan has to say for herself. She is furious that she hasn't been invited to Brancaster. Oh, gee, after that fabulous performance <laughs> at your only daughter's wedding? Yeah. Susan, furious? Ugh. God, she'd be such a bummer. Uh, she would be. I mean, she was, you know, was that last? Yeah, that was mm-hmm. last Christmas. Maybe. Uh, yeah. So Lord Grantham asks how... Uh, Susan found out and McGee told her rather than letting her hear it from somebody else. Uh, and she says that the divorce will be a problem for Lord Cinderby. And uh, yeah, Mosley says the cars are ready. And as they're walking out, McGee asked Lord Grantham what he was doing in York. He says it's nothing worth bothering about. So why not tell her then? Uh, stiff upper lip and whatnot. Yeah. Etc. Edith asks where the children are and Branson says that they'll be outside. And there they are. Hey. Mary says, George, come to mummy. <laughs> Edith says, Marigold, come to me. <laughs> and Sibby says, bye-bye, daddy. And we all melt. Yes, we do. Lord Grantham and McGee get in the car. Lord Grantham saw the mummy thing and asks McGee if she still thinks he shouldn't tell her that he knows. McGee says, it's not our secret. And the cars pull, and the cars pull off. So at the train, Carson tells Thomas to check every piece of luggage when they're transferred in York, and Thomas says that he has changed trains before. Uh, elsewhere on the platform, Lord Grantham tells the Dowager that he's impressed she came to say goodbye. The Dowager says, why do you always talk of me as if I were a salmon who laid her eggs in the gravel and then swam back to sea? That's exactly the kind of mother I would like to be. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think it's what the Dowager would like to bend as I'll well. I'll be like, bye, baby salmons. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck not becoming a filet. <laughs> Mary says that the Dowager's very maternal if it suits her, which is about right. Uh, yeah, and I guess the grand apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> the grand apple. <laughs> Lord Grantham asks when the princess arrives. It's tomorrow. McGee asks about Carragan, and he'll be coming to dinner tomorrow night. Lord Grantham asks if Isabel will be there, and the Dowager says that she wouldn't miss it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't have TV. <laughs> right. Lord, this is as close to a soap opera as they're gonna get. Yeah, you have to like live a soap opera if you want to watch a soap opera. Yeah, which uh, I've like gone through the Looking Glass on. <laughs> if you're going to watch a soap opera, you better be living one first. Otherwise, how are you going to appreciate all the nuance? Uh, that's a good point. Thank you. <laughs> I just thought of that theory. Yeah, I'll be testing it at MIT shortly. <laughs> I look forward to the paper. The Dowager says to get on board before she gets crossed with Lord Grantham, so they do. Uh, Lord Grantham says that it's all in Carson's hands now, and he says, may they prove worthy of the charge. What if this is just something they do every time they leave? I think they do. I think they both have a Britain-gasm every time they do that. Yeah. Uh, The whistle blows, the train departs. The Dowager says, Lord Cinderby, Branson, and Barrow, not what I'd call a recipe for a peaceful week's shooting. Isabel says it makes you wonder what they'll be shooting at. And I'm like, what? What does Branson have to do with it? Or, or Barrow, for that matter. I don't know. I, look, First of all, Barrow's not going to be shooting anything. I'm not sure when the Dowager <laughs> and Isabel became the Statler and Waldorf of the show. But I, for one, welcome our new Muppet overlords. 
In the library, the maids are putting dust clouds over furniture, and Mosley asks what Daisy will be working on while the family's away, and she hasn't decided. Mosley says she doesn't sound keen, but she says she's not sure she should go on with it, and what is she trying to prove? Mrs. Patmore says, we're not having another crisis, are we? Yeah, fair point. Daisy says the more she thinks about it, she wonders if her plans are realistic and if she should just get on with her life. And I'm like, what are your plans again? (laughs) Right. You keep changing them. Right. Her plans are, you know, step one, study. Step two. Dither? Question mark. (laughs) Step three, farm. (laughs) Mrs. Hughes asks what Mrs. Patmore is doing upstairs. And she says she came up for a bit of air. It's nice to have her head above ground for five minutes. And I'm like, what a horrible life you have. Yeah. Uh, and then the servants all close the shutters yeah. in the library. Uh, maybe Daisy should be making some sort of plans to escape. Yeah. The train winds through various scenic English hills. Inside, McGee says they must all be on their best behavior for Rose's sake. Lord Grantham says that Lord Cinderby always looks like he's spoiling for, an, for a fight, so don't give him an excuse. Now he knows how the homely liberal felt. <laughs> Branson wonders if he was right to come. Uh, he doesn't want to sound like thing one, but he's not a perfect son-in-law. Well, luckily, Lord Cinderby's not your father-in-law. Yeah, good point. So that guy can fuck right off. That's right. Although, actually, I really like Lord Cinderby. Yeah, I like him, and too. And I'll tell you why later. Okay. When he arrives. <laughs> Mary says that the Crawleys stick together. Edith agrees and says that he'll enjoy it once they get there. Um... You know, and I can't really see Lord Cinderby having a serious problem with Branson. Like, not really. Yeah, man. He's just Irish. Yeah. Lord Grantham says that Branson's a good shot, and any host will give a lot, will forgive a lot for that, and then looks physically uncomfortable. McGee asks if she can help, and he says, yes, stop fussing. Well, you know, fussing is the number one cause of discomfort (laughs) in Britain. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Edith says that she suggested that the nanny take the children to Lake Gormire. Or Gormir? Gormir, probably Gormir. That was in Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> I think it was, yeah. There was that monster in it. Which is why Edith is worried that it's maybe too dangerous. Uh, and so she wants to call and cancel it. You know, and I'm like, look, I promise you those nannies are not going to get the children killed. Yeah, that's their whole job. They have one job. <laughs> and that is it. Uh, so Mary asks why she doesn't just shut the children up in a box in the attic until they're 21. McGee says not to be unkind. Mary says that she's the mother around here, and she's not panicking. And Edith looks stricken. Yeah. At Brancaster, some guy walks into various rooms and up to Lord Cinderby, who asks if everything's under control. The butler, uh, it seems safe to assume, this is the butler, mm-hmm. says the housekeeper has drawn up the list of rooms, and Lord Cinderby asks if the servants are cooperative. Uh, he says they'd rather take orders from their own butler, but Lord Cinderby says Lord Hexham didn't seem to think it would be a problem. Uh, and the butler says it isn't. Uh, Lord Hexham said it wouldn't be a problem because as long as he gets your deposit <laughs> right. and your payment, he don't give a fuck. He doesn't have to be there. No, I know. He was like, hey, my butler, do you think it'll be a problem if you take a week off? And that guy was like, you know what? No, I don't. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> they walk into another room and the butler asks Lady Cinderby if she wants tea in the library as apparently it's normally served in the anti-library. Oh. Is that the small library? I, it's, Very confused. Right. Lady Cinderby says, how interesting, Stoll, but we'll have tea in the library. (laughs) And Stoll withdraws, and then Lady Cinderby asks why he must always know better, and Lord Cinderby says it's because he always knows better. So maybe you should have tea in the anti-library. 
Maybe so. I guess the anti-library is like if you're on your way to the library, but you just want to read something sooner. It's like yeah. the room before. It's like, here's <laughs> some books you can read to tide you over <laughs> before you get to the library. So I was confused at first at this point because I see Lady Cinderby and I'm like, that dress is awful summery mm. for Christmas time. Uh-huh. But then I remembered that this is at some indeterminate point during the shooting season. Yes. Not at Christmas. Christmas comes later, guys. <laughs> Thanks for the calendar report, Kelly. Uh, look, I was really confused. I was like, what the hell are these bitches doing? Oh, I understand. Running around in short sleeves, <laughs> gallivanting through the countryside. Yeah. The cars drive up to the castle, and Rose excitedly greets the family as they disembark. As they're walking in, Lord Grantham asks how Venice was, so that is where they were going on their honeymoon. Rose says it was sublime, and Atticus says, there was water all over the streets. So that's that's about the best we're going to get out of Atticus, it he looks like. He's not the brightest Atticus in all He's, of fictional uh, <laughs> literature. <laughs> it's true. Uh, you know, he's he's nice enough. Lord Grantham says that Blancaster is a marvelous place. He came there once in old Lord Hexham's day. Did you call it Blancaster? <laughs> not intentionally, but... It's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yes, they were apparently trying to unload a niece on him, so uh, I guess he got away at that time. Well, she probably didn't have much of an inheritance. Yeah, I would think so, having that giant castle to maintain. Well, that and also, you know, uh, Lord Grantham was broke, so. Right, right, right. He, right. Uh, he needed a hot cash infusion, <laughs> McGee style. <laughs> That's just how he phrased it. <laughs> he called her McGee, even though in the world of Downton Abbey that makes no sense. <laughs> Mick Grantham? <laughs> Atticus says that the new Lord Hexham isn't there much, which is why they let it out. And then the Lord and Lady Cinderby come down and welcome them. Lord Cinderby hopes they had a de- decent journey and introduces Stoll. So that's the butler's name. He'll be running things. Branson says, quite a challenge for you. And Stoll just stares him down and walks away. Yeah, it turns out Stoll is actually a ghost. <laughs> Rose says that they'll be cozy. Lady Cinderby says that they know some of the locals. And Atticus adds that Lord Hexham asked them to invite some of uh, his father's old pals. Lord Grantham says that seems a bit steep, given what Lord Cinderby is paying. And then Rose asks if they can't use Christian names. Uh, But Lord Cinderby points out that his name is not a Christian name. Boom! Yeah. Rose is like, oh, you know what I mean. But uh, he got you. Um, like, that's a fair point. Like, honestly, if you're doing an interfaith marriage, I think you should go out of your way mm-hmm. to try to, like, not say things that your obviously hypersensitive <laughs> right. father-in-law is going to get mad at you for. Yeah. You should just go down and make a list, you know, given name. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know what else is. Happy holidays. Baptisms. Just don't talk about them. <laughs> right. Or christenings, I guess. Yeah. In Britain. Yeah, I guess that would be. I don't know what you, but see, I don't know what the term for christening would be then, like the, the non-denominational christening. Uh, naming. Mm, that's a good point. A non-violent bris. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that yeah, that's fine. I don't know. No, I, I just I have no idea. Yeah, let's move on. You have to admit, non-violent bris is a really <laughs> great phrase. It is. It could be a name for a band. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> Thomas is supervising the baggage, and Stoll comes up, and Thomas introduces himself as valet to the Earl of Grantham. Stoll says he's temporary valet to Lord Grantham. Stoll knows all. Because <laughs> he's Listen, a ghost, you see. I subscribe to Bitchy Butler's Weekly. <laughs> 
Uh, well, they've all heard about Anna Bates. Stoll introduces himself, and Thomas says he's a novice there, too. Stoll says he's not a novice anywhere. Wow, wow, wow. Thomas tells some guy that some bags are for Branson, who's there without a valet. And Stoll says that few chauffeurs travel with the valet, and then he snaps his finger three times. <laughs> uh, Thomas says Stoll's very up-to-date on his detail, and Stoll asks how Thomas can bear to wait on Branson. Thomas says that they do what they have to do. Stoll says Thomas will also help as a footman. Uh, Thomas starts to protest, but didn't you just say you do what you have to do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stoll says that Hexum doesn't maintain a full staff, so they will find him a livery. Baxter comes in and asks if McGee's, Edith's, and Mary's rooms are close together. She's seeing to all of them. Stoll says that she'll be sturdy by the time she gets home, indicating that they've all been placed in rooms at opposite ends of the <laughs> castle. Right. One of them's actually in Scotland. <laughs> Stoll asks what Branson does during the shoot. Read Mota magazines. Thomas says he's a good shot. Stoll says that it was his training with the Fenians. <laughs> Thomas says he's sorry if they're not up to his standards. And I say Stoll raises several interesting points. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, he got fired by the Fenians. He couldn't have been that good a shot. <laughs> In the Dower Garden, the Dowager tells Isabel that the princess will be arriving around six to change. Isabel doubts she has much to change into, but the Dowager will see to that. And then Corrigan will come at eight. She asks Isabel to be there a few minutes before he arrives. Which is something I do anytime I have a party. Mm-hmm. I always designate one friend to be the first guest. Yeah. Because it's very awkward if you're not. It's, I've, uh, I've witnessed the, mm-hmm. uh, the e- e- efficacy of this plan. Yes, it's a very good plan. Isabel asks, what if Karagan brings his toothbrush? Wink, wink, nudge, <laughs> nudge. Except that's not what she meant at all. <laughs> no. She's just like, do you have any toothpaste is my question. <laughs> Uh, the, <laughs> the dowager says that she'll let him stay. Uh, they are married, after all, Princess and Karag. And Properly. She, yes, she can swear to that. She says that she's asked... She says that she's asked Murty, and says that Murty can talk to the princess. They can, du- they can discuss syringes and stitches and things. Isabel says, what fun you make it sound. These two are crazy. Yeah. No, and it's like, you know, I understand that you need Murty there to be, like, everybody's wingman. <laughs> right. But, like... Why would the princess want to talk about this crap that she's had to do that she didn't want to do? She's like, I understand you desperately took up nursing to avoid starving to death in the street. This is a rich old man who takes a casual interest in medicine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At the Blandcaster Library, <laughs> uh, Lord Cinderby tells Lord Grantham and McGee that they're not a large party, and Atticus's friend Charlie Rogers is nearby. What a generic name that is. <laughs> And he will come on Thursday, and their estate agent will come. Or I guess the agent of uh, Lancaster. Right, right. Lord Grantham says that he should invite Shrimpy. Uh, Lord Cinderby ignores him, and McGee gives an amazing look at her. Her face is just like, ooh. (laughs) Lord Grantham says that Lord Cinderby has asked a few of Lord Hexham's friends, and Lord Cinderby suspects some of them have had to overcome their principles to come and hang out with him. Yeah. But Lord Grantham says the English have strong principles, except when it comes to good shooting or eating well. Lord Cinderby agrees and then tells Thomas to get him some milk. Yeah, by saying, you, milk. Yeah, that's what I say to everyone, no matter what it is I want. (laughs) You, milk, and also open this door. (laughs) No, and I, I don't know, you know, it was a very anti-Semitic period, Mm -hmm. but I also kind of want to be like, hey, Lord Cinderby, maybe if you didn't bring up 
uh, your religion and how you're persecuted for it in every conversation, people wouldn't think you were such a terminal bummer. Well, and let's keep track through the episode about his uh, willingness to overcome his own principles oh, yeah, for that's his own a convenience. Really good point. Yeah. Uh, secondly, no, and it's like these are nice people. They don't care about your religion. Yeah. They never did. Like. Violet did for inexplicable reasons. Right. But like basically nobody in this core group ever cared. Right. But I mean, he's not, well, he's not talking about them. He's talking about his Northumbrian neighbors. Well, I understand that, but it's like, hey, maybe just everybody take a hit. Yeah. Calm down for a minute. I'm, you know? I, Mazel tov. Right. I mean, they did. Play accept, the black eyed peas. They did accept the invitation. What more do you want from them? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, then across the room, Branson tries to ask Stoll for sugar and gets ignored again. Edith says, how rude. Uh, Rose tells Mary that Stoll is a bit of a snob and he'll have heard about Branson's background. And Mary says they can't allow that. This, I feel like, comes up semi-frequently. But it's like, what is up with these servants who are just allowed to be dicks to people? I know. Like, like why does he think he can get away with I this? I don't understand this at all. Yeah. Like, Branson is the invited guest of his boss. Yeah. End of story. Uh, and I don't, you know, I'm not even saying, you know, I understand, that, you know, servants would have felt very angry about Branson. Right, right. In their own, you know, snobbish way. Sure. But it's like, you can't let that get interfere with your job. Mm-hmm. Or if you're going to snub him, do it in private where nobody can prove it against you. Yeah. Snobbery 101. <laughs> At the Dower House. See, Thomas would never have made this mistake if he had something against oh, somebody no. he was serving. He would have, you know... Just like, you know, stolen his shoes or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> At the Dower House, Danker notes a bowl she hasn't seen before because uh, it's just sitting out for no reason. <laughs> the Dowager says it was a gift from her mother's maid who used to make delicious chicken broth when the Dowager was ill. Danker says there's nothing better than chicken broth and the Dowager Countess agrees and remembers the maid saying that every good lady's maid should know how to make a broth. Isabel says that those days are gone. Uh, and Spratt says, quite gone. Eh, Miss Danker? And if he had a mustache, he would twirl it. <laughs> Danker doesn't agree. Spratt laughs. The Dowager says not to be jealous. Spratt says he's dubious. Isabel says Danker will have to prove him wrong. Spratt agrees. The Dowager Countess is annoyed, as are the rest of us. Yeah. See, here's my question. At this moment, all Danker had to say was, when they supposed those days were gone, all she had to do was say, I suppose so. Given also, that, if you wanted me to make you a chicken broth, perhaps you should have asked about that during the lengthy interview process. <laughs> right. Because as she well knows, she is unable to make a broth. There's no reason for her to claim that ability. Yeah. Like, if I say I can make a broth, but I can't make a broth, like, there's... what? Why would I do that? <laughs> right. Especially since it wasn't... I mean, it didn't come... In the context it came up... They were all. They were already assuming no, they were that all she could. Just couldn't. sitting around having a grand old time, looking at this old piece of crap. China. <laughs> Good lord! Every day, I like to bring out one random piece of china that I've forgotten about. Tell stories. <laughs> Downstairs. Next time on the Dowager's Dishes. <laughs> Downstairs at Downton, Carson thought that they would be seeing the houses tomorrow, but Hughes doesn't see why they're in such a hurry. Uh, then Bates comes by to say he's heading to see Anna. Hughes is sorry that she can't send her anything. Yeah, a cake with a file in it would be pretty handy. Yeah, or at least a shank. Right. But in this case, we want the Bates to be the shanker, not the shanked. Yes. Yes. Right. So it's more like shank, comma, Bates. <laughs> right. Punctuation is key. Yes. Bates, shank, Bates, shank. 
Mosley says that Bates must be living through a nightmare. Carson says that at least he can visit a lot. And Hughes says that's only until she's convicted. Which I like how fatalist Mrs. Hughes is, honestly. Because <laughs> right. I'm like, yeah, man, this does not look good. Yeah, that makes way more sense than, well, Bates got off, ergo. I mean, listen, nobody is really demonstrating excellent powers of logic in this episode, which leads me to feel that they may have a carbon monoxide leak. <laughs> Up in Blandcaster, everybody's getting on wagons and packing up guns, etc., etc. Uh, Lord Cinderby tells Lord Grantham to give anything he needs to his loader. We'll see them in the butts. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> Outside, Lord Cinderby asks if Lady Cinderby is riding with him. She says no, she'll chum with Tom, and Mary will ride with Lord Cinderby, pleasing neither Mary nor <laughs> Lord Cinderby. <laughs> The wagons head out into the countryside and the people and dogs disembark. Lord Cinderby tells Mary that Lord Grantham is disappointed he didn't invite Shrimpy. And Mary says Lord Grantham only said he was a good shot, which she was not present for that conversation. No. Uh, so did they have a family meeting after uh, dinner and drinks where he was like, okay, this is what I said to Lord Grantham. <laughs> Possibly. She asks if it wouldn't be better for him to just accept the divorce and be pleasanter in general. <laughs> Lord Cinderby says he can't pretend to approve of divorce and implies that he is also incapable of being pleasant. Yeah. Mary asks if he can learn to live with it for Rose. Lord Cinderby doesn't answer yeah. because Lord Cinderby does not take well to criticism of his ways. Yeah. No, Lord Cinderby and Stoll both have the same go-to move, which is just ignore you and walk away. Actually, it's my go-to move as well. <laughs> Maybe this is why I like Lord Cinderby so much. I'm like, oh, yeah, mm, bye. <laughs> it's like the Irish goodbye, except insulting. The Jewish cold shoulder. <laughs> the Northumbrian goodbye. <laughs> Lady Cinderby asks Branson if he shot as a boy. He says he used to shoot pigeons on his grandfather's farm, and she says pigeons are very difficult. See, she gets it. Branson takes a gun, and Lady Cinderby asks if it was hard, uh, if it was hard, you know, adjusting to the crawlies. He says, hard enough, especially without Sybil. He was on his own. Lady Cinderby says they seem more welcoming than her family does, but Branson says he was still a shock to the system. Yeah, Three years ago, it was a totally different show. <laughs> I can barely even remember it. Would you believe I was a Fenian? <laughs> and, and a journalist. <laughs> and a chauffeur. <laughs> but, you know, they always forget about the journalism part. <laughs> Lord Grantham tells McGee that Daniel Cinderby is a prig. Uh, and McGee says that Rachel wants them all to be friends. So now we know their first names. Yes, which is great. Yeah. Uh, Lord Grantham says she has poor material to work with. McGee pesters him once again about where he went in York, but then the grouse come along and everybody shoots at them, <laughs> which is terrible because what did those grouses ever do to them? Uh, nothing. Greases? <laughs> What's the plural? I think, it, I think it's just grouse. Oh, well, that's sorry. no fun. No, it isn't Let's any fun. Let's call them greases. <laughs> that's fine by me. Great. Greases it is. I'm never going to shoot at greases. You don't know that. Well, it's, I'm pretty well, sure. Well, it's a grease. <laughs> and then a greases. Oh, I see. Plural. Yeah, man. Oh, Get with the program. Well, either way. I'm, I'm making not, up words. I, I, I don't really have any interest in hunting live animals. Me neither, actually. It yeah. seems awful. Yeah. Seems like really sad. Yeah. I mean, I'll eat them if I don't have to see them. Oh, yeah. Like, I eat meat all the time. Oh, yeah. I so, had some earlier today. Right. Mm. <laughs> Hashtag monsters. <laughs> yes. So, the shooting at the, the grease transitions to a prison door sound which julian fellow saw in an episode of law and order <laughs> right 
Uh, Bates is telling Anna that they uh, they haven't got a case. There were seven million people in London, but Anna says that they found something out, something that she should have told him. Uh, she says that her father was a laborer, killed when she was six, and her family was destitute until her mother married an iron worker, all of which Bates knows. Uh, but she says, she goes on, she says, it wasn't much at first, slight touches brushing past me. I can still remember the smell of the beer in his breath. Uh, and so we get the idea. Bates asks if she told her mother. She says that her mother didn't want to believe it and didn't have anywhere else to go if she left him. And then one night he was looking at Anna and she knew it was coming. So she fetched a knife and waited in the dark and threatened him. And when she, he wouldn't stop, she cut him. Uh, Bates says, so basically nothing happened because she didn't kill the guy. Uh, Anna says he screened blue murder, so the watch came, but her mom convinced him to say that it was an accident. And then she took a job further north as a tweenie and, uh, you know, never saw him again. But they must have found the report in the records or else her stepfather heard that she was in jail and or told Baron them. fellows made up a ridiculous backstory that suggests that all rape victims have to have been victims of some sort of sexual assault. Not a huge fan of this development. Nor am I, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, because I mean, because there's various elements of an interesting handling of a rape plot line, you know, from the beginning, there's been mm-hmm. like these little bits of it that are like interesting and, and helpful and different. Uh, but then it's all just succumbs to, you know, fellowsism. Yeah. And it's sad. Anyway, speaking of horrible things, Bates is like, well, you're not guilty, so there must be a way to prove it. Are we sure she's not guilty? I'm not. I'm not either. She may well have fucking killed this guy. Right. And I certainly would say, you know, she's like, you know, she's like within her rights or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, I just can't believe that, like. Because she's she's never said she was innocent to anybody, right? You know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Agreed. So like even here, she just says, "Do you ever doubt?" And Bates says that <laughs> reminds her that we've been through this whole plot line before, and that his answer is the same as hers that he doesn't doubt her innocence or that the sun will rise in the east. And uh, she's like, "Thanks." Lunch at Blandcaster. Edith wonders how the children are, and Branson says the children aren't worrying about them, which may be true, but I was an extraordinarily anxious child. (laughs) Edith says that he's right, and Lord Grantham says they're being spoiled to death. Yes, because British nannies are known (laughs) for being indulgent. Stoll pointedly doesn't offer Branson any bread. Branson asks him for it. And Mary and Atticus see this. And yeah, there's, and there's, there's also just some random, like, really sad-looking woman in that shot. Aww. Like, she's just an extra, but she's just sitting there like, oh. <laughs> well, maybe she also did not get bread. Maybe, <laughs> maybe she not. also was a chauffeur. It's possible. Stoll grudgingly offers the bread to Branson, who says he's very kind. <laughs> and Atticus whispers an apology. Mary says to Rose that Atticus is in a tough spot because he can't criticize his father's butler. And Rose says the funny thing is that Stoll doesn't even like Lord Cinderby. Mary says he seems obsequious, and Rose says that's to his face, but her maid says it's different behind his back. Oh-ho. Mary says that's frightening when you consider what a butler knows. And Rose agrees that all of the servants know more about them than vice versa. Which I would argue is uh, not true at Downton Abbey, where there's various murderers. <laughs> right. But, you know. Mary's like, we know loads about our servants. <laughs> we keep trying not to pay attention. <laughs> but they're always coming up and asking us to help them with things. <laughs> murders and weddings and whatnot. War memorials. <laughs> 
Hughes and Carson leave one of the houses they're looking at. Hughes says that it needs a lot of work. Carson says not so much, and they would employ estate workers to do it, which he would supervise. It seems like embezzlement to me, but whatever. (laughs) Hughes says, oh, then she'll be supervising the mythical maid of all work. Carson says that they'd share the duties. After all, it's not as if anything ever needs done at Downton anymore. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty much free to just... Yeah, imagine the robots. They got Why don't they have imagine the robots fix this cottage? Yeah, that's a good point. They could do it in a day. No, but they're just going to go down there and do this whole money pit thing with all these hijinks. It's going to be great. Hughes asks where the next house is. It's a bus ride and then a bit of a hike. Hughes says that she's not dead yet, which isn't always the tune that she sings. So... yeah. She's the one that's always wondering how much longer she'll be alive. Ha! At the Dower House, uh, Karagan arrives. Mm-hmm. Prince Karagan. Yes. The Dowager Countess, Isabel, and Murdy are all there. He thanks them for sending a car, and the Dowager says they didn't want him to get lost. <laughs> he asks where the princess is, and she's changing upstairs. None of them have seen her, which seems weird. It does. But Karagan borrowed his uh, suit from the Theatre Royale. Yeah. Which fits surprisingly well. No, it's not bad. Uh, the Dowager Countess awkwardly... Also, like, did, they were fine with that? Okay. Like, well, maybe he stole it. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. <laughs> uh, the Dowager suggests that they all sit down. Isabel asks if Karagan would rather meet the princess in private first. Karagan says no, he has not seen her for five years, and he wants their support. And the Dowager agrees that the presence of strangers is their only guarantee of good behavior. But how much of a guarantee is it? We shall see. Baxter's dressing Mary, who complains about Stoll's treatment of Branson, uh, and Baxter says that Stoll isn't polite downstairs and doesn't approve of Branson. Mary asks what right he has to approve or disapprove, which... Uh, I think maybe it's more like, hey, Brans- uh, hey Baxter, snitches get stitches. <laughs> uh, no, n- not when they're snitching on other people's butlers. Yeah. Depends on the butler. <laughs> That's true. She says how Rose said that Stoll doesn't like Lord Cinderby, and Baxter suggests that Lord Cinderby isn't easy to like. Mary's like, good point, but wonders if Barrow can't come up with some way to get Stoll a black mark, because he used to do that sort of thing all the time. Mm-hmm. Baxter agrees so that he has a card up his sleeve, so Mary says to tell him to play a card. Downstairs, Tommen has no problem uh, getting back to his scheme in ways, right. but he doesn't have a scheme ready to go. So he says he'll think about it while cleaning some boots, because God knows we've all got to clean fucking boots. Oh, let's see a new boot room. (laughs) Uh, Which reminds him to ask Lord Cinderby's valet for some waterproofing wax. He hails some maid and asks if she knows where he is, but apparently he's out till 10, so I guess I have the same lax policies there (laughs) as Downton Abbey. Thomas has an idea and wonders if Mary would mind annoying Lord Cinderby in the bargain. Baxter says that none of our lot would mind. Uh... Which is a, you know, unprecedented show of up slash downstairs loyalties. Right. Also, Rose might. It's her father-in-law. True. Uh, well, Baxter's not mating for Rose now, is she? No, I guess not. Thomas asks if Baxter will help her, and Baxter says, sure, since this was Mary's idea. And Thomas says they need paper and pencil. Great. Spratt announces the princess. So, uh, Karagan, Igor, and the princess, Arena, greet each other. The Dowager asks if she should introduce everyone. Arena says, what would be the point? Arena is maybe the best character there's ever been on this show. It's possible. I want to watch Arena Abbey. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Russianest person you ever saw. It's ridiculous. Murdy says that she's had a long journey. The princess says, obviously. There's another awkward pause. 
Isabel says she'd so like to go to Russia. She never has. And the princess says, Then you missed it. Which was great. Oh my That's God. One of the, the first best. time we watched this, we died. <laughs> yeah. We died, people. Oh my God. It's amazing. It's like they took all of Chekhov's plays, <laughs> boiled them down, and then made a woman out of them. <laughs> the dowager asks if she needs anything. The princess says she has the clothes that the dowager put out. Dowager says she didn't know if the princess would have luggage. The princess, she has no luggage and no possessions. Karagin says that nothing is more tedious than others' misfortunes. So Which they, is a very British thing to say. I think he's been in uh, Ripon too long. Yeah, he's settling or in. Or is it York that they're in? I think they're in York. I think they are yeah. in York. So they should just be grateful to the Dowager. Princess says that the last time they met, the circumstances were different. And the Dowager unconvincingly claims not to remember. Downstairs, Thomas asks some maid who Mrs. Brennan is. It's the cook. He says there's a note for her, and the maid takes it. Baxter asks how he knows they won't trace the note to them, and Thomas says he's not a complete amateur. Then we get a super fancy dinner, complete with live harp and bagpipe music. So, yeah, get ready to eat. Atticus says that Charlie Rogers has a friend that he has to bring or he won't be able to come. So Lord Grantham says, what are you going to do? He says, well, I'll have to bring the friend, but it means that Atticus won't be able to shoot. So big bummer like, there. I don't understand what these limitations are on right. who can and can't shoot. Because they seem to be in this giant, like, moor. Right. And it's like, you know, they have these sort of, like, stands that you set up at. And mm-hmm. It's like, can there not be another stand? Right. It's It's very strange. Yeah. Mary asks who this person is. Atticus says his name is Henry Talbot, and that's all he knows. Lord Cinderby says that he'll tell the agent not to come, and Atticus says that's too unkind. Uh, and they all feel a bit sorry for him for some reason. For Atticus? I think for the agent. Um, okay. It doesn't matter. In Mrs. Hughes's parlor, Patmore set up a nice dinner for Carson and Hughes and says the cat's away and those mice better eat all the food. <laughs> right. She's invited Mr. Bates, Mosley, and Daisy, so this is going to be the biggest bummer of a dinner ever. (laughs) Carson assumes that Daisy will be waiting on them, and Mrs. Patmore says she will wait and eat, and if that's too democratically overpowering, Carson can eat with the housemaids. Daisy arrives, as does Bates, and apparently Murray's visiting tomorrow and can bring Bates as well. So he'll be gone most of the day. Carson says that's fine. Nothing to be done around here. Right. And Mosley arrives. And Daisy looks so excited to be invited to the like grown-ups table. Yeah, it's yeah. really adorable. It is. So back at this fancy dinner, Branson asked Stoll for wine uh, because Stoll once again pointedly did not serve him. And Lord Cinderby asked Stoll what his problem is, which is exactly what, what how do you, how can you get away with this? Uh, and then a plate with this sad little chicken breast is set down. Yeah, because the of- food at this dinner looks amazing. Yeah. Like, I feel like we've never seen food up close like this before. Mm-hmm. Like we've generally seen, they generally shoot these things from like the middle or across the table. Right. But here they're actually shooting it uh, sideways so you can actually see what they're serving themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lord Cinderby's very upset. Asked if Lady Cinderby can explain what's going on, which she can. And she asked Stoll, who says that it was Lord Cinderby's order. Lord Cinderby is baffled. Stoll says that Daunt left the cook a note, and Stoll cuts him off to say that he never said that, and then, again, asks why he is so rude to Mr. Branson. Branson's like, uh, hey, it's, there's no need for this. And Stoll starts to say that the cook told him, but Lord Cinderby interrupts again and says that someone has played a joke on them. 
He asks if the note looked like Zont's handwriting. Stoll says he never saw it. And obviously, Mrs. Brennan, and then Lord Cinderby interrupts him yet a third time to say, how dare you use the word obviously to contradict me? And tells him to go fetch a real dinner and behave more professionally. So Stoll slinks off. And then Lord Cinderby says to Thomas, bring that back, you stupid fool. So there's a long, awkward beat there as everybody's like, okay. And then Rose asks McGee if she would like to tour the estate tomorrow. And McGee says that would be so fun. (laughs) Much funner than this. Mary says goodness to Atticus, who says that Lord Cinderby does get rattled. Mary says that she's not keen on Stoll, so she enjoyed it. And Atticus says that Stoll is proud and won't find that easy to forgive. Mary says Thomas also won't like being called a stupid fool. Uh, and cut to a shot of Thomas looking not very forgiving. At the dower house, Isabel thinks Karagin will enjoy Paris. He says many Russians have settled there. They've lost everything. <laughs> cool story. Then uh, the princess Karagin says, including the will to live. And Murdy says, if you're going to be miserable, you might as well do it in charming surroundings. Like, yeah. He and Isabel are made for each other no. in their complete unwillingness to ever be pessimistic. No, I know. Well, I love Murdy in this scene because clearly, he's clearly just been like, well, she's just going to be like this yep. and I'm not going to worry myself God, about I it. God, I love Murdy. Yeah. Uh, the princess says she's going up. The dowager rings for Spratt and hopes the princess will be comfortable. And the, da- uh, <laughs> the princess says she will be more comfortable tonight than she will ever be again. <laughs> Uh, Isabel says that you don't know that and the princess is like uh, I know that and then she leaves and I'm like oh yeah she's probably totally correct yeah uh, the dowager asks when Karagan will call for the princess in the morning and Karagan says whenever the dowager wants if that's what she's decided the dowager is surprised he thinks there's still a decision to be made since uh, she was giving him the old Jewish cold shoulder <laughs> right uh, Karagan says she is good to lend the princess those clothes and the dowager says that she's given the clothes to her not lent them and Karangan says they'll be saying goodbye and asks if that's what she really wants. The dowager says it's what must be. And Karangan says he doesn't understand. The dowager says, you will if you try. And I'm like, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Like, you got too much baggage, Karangan. Yeah. Like, like, did you not just see the most depressing woman in the world? Like, <laughs> Yeah, you don't want that mad at you. No. Uh, there's a beat, and then the dowager says that Spratt will see Karagan out, and Murdy actually volunteers, and the two men leave. But then Murdy comes back to say that he senses a game of high stakes has been played, although he couldn't tell who won, but he hopes it was him, and leaves. And I'm like, like Murdy, you, you were this not... had nothing to do with you. And yeah. also, the stakes weren't even that high. No, not really. And you were not playing. <laughs> you No, you were played, motherfucker. <laughs> Isabel sits down by the dowager and asks if she's told uh, Prince Karagan that his cause is hopeless. She says, yes, sad to say. And Isabel says, sad. And the dowager says, I will never again receive an immoral proposition from a man. Was I so wrong to savor it? Nah, dude, you were not. Yeah. That was the correct thing to do. That was. No, it's a great, kills it, you know, as always. But like that line, dude. In their bedroom, Lord Grantham is getting up from a chair and grunts with pain. And McGee demands to know what the matter is. Uh, he says he should go. Barrow is waiting. And McGee says, let him wait. Right? I think he's done enough. Yeah. Lord Grantham says he's not hiding it exactly. It's probably nothing. And McGee says, and if it isn't nothing? Uh, he says he's been having pains in his chest, well, and in his side and his tummy. There's nothing more upsetting than a grown adult man saying tummy. <laughs> so grown adult men, stop it. Agreed. Unless you're talking to a baby. Well, sure. 
Uh, yes, quite sharp pains, and the man in York said it might be angina. And McGee is shocked, and Lord Grantham says that's why he didn't want to tell her about it. It doesn't mean he's about to drop dead, but the guy wants him to go for tests when they get back. Uh, McGee says, well, then he shouldn't be shooting, but the man in York said it's fine if it relaxes him, because the man in New York uh, knows how to handle his Was this clients. a doctor? Right, never specified. Or is this just like a guy that hangs out? <laughs> I remember him from the Boer War. He would always diagnose us. So many of us died. McGee thinks his whole trip is not relaxing. Lord Grantham says the dinner was unpleasant and gets up, says he thinks he will speak to Edith. McGee asks why now. Lord Grantham says that you never know what's coming, and he wants to be clear that everything's right between them. Uh, McGee, not comforted by his sudden wish to settle his affairs... <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, says to look after himself, but he says that that's her job and she does it so well. Back at the Dower House, Spratt tells the Dowager that Isabel enjoyed the evening, and the Dowager says it was colorful and to thank Mrs. Potter for dinner, but she needs a rest from such rich delights. Danker comes to take the Dowager up as Spratt suggests some of Danker's famous broth. The Dowager knows that Spratt is teasing, but it would be nice. Spratt asks if Danker will take up the challenge. Danker says she doesn't want to get in Mrs. Potter's way, but Spratt is sure it's fine because there is a uh, range and a sink in the still room. Right. Whatever that is. Sure. The Dowager asks if Danker can manage, and she says she'd be delighted. The Dowager tells Spratt that not every spring and lever obeys his touch, which doesn't it? Right. It does. You're all going along with his ridiculous scheme here. Look, let us leave the broth. It will be back before any of us is ready. (laughs) In Edith's room, Lord Grantham knocks and enters. Edith asks if something's the matter. He says no, uh, and that that's what he wants to make clear. Edith's like, what's this about? And Lord Grantham says it's about Marigold. Uh, Edith asks what it is he means, and he thinks she knows. Uh, Edith says that she can't give her up. Marigold, that is. And Lord Grantham says, of course not. I've watched the past season. (laughs) Right. You're mad. Never gonna give her up. Never gonna love those pigs. (laughs) Uh, He asks if she's told Branson. She says, no, but he might have guessed. Uh, Lord Grantham says, well, then everyone knows. And Edith says, all but Mary. And asks for his forgiveness. Lord Grantham says that it's not how he would have had things, but he does believe Gregson was honorable. And Edith emphatically agrees and says he would have married me as soon as he came home, which he probably would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wasn't that cute. <laughs> Lord Grantham says that they must do do their best for Gregson's child for his sake as well as Edith's. Edith says that's lovely of him. And Lord Grantham says that they should keep it in the family as even in 1924, uh, people might still have an issue with it. Yeah, one of them lives in your family. Right. She asks if he forgives her. He says he needs her forgiveness as much as she needs his uh, and says go to bed and sleep well. Yeah, which is actually, I just thought of this. Like, what a horrifying thing. Because, like, I love Mary. Right. But if she was mean to Edith's kid just to get at Edith, like, that's bad. Yeah. That's not a good move. That's true. I don't support that move. I agree. And I I'm generally pro all of her bitchery. No, I agree. I mean, what I would say, the only mitigating thing I would say is it's not like she is going to see that kid very often ever. <laughs> That's true. She barely sees her own kid. Right. Downstairs, Baxter tells Thomas he got more than he bargained for, and Thomas says he's never been insulted in public and doesn't intend to start. Baxter says Stoll got a flea in his ear, which was their goal, but Thomas has bigger plans now. Baxter will see. Great. I'll show you all. <laughs> Thomas knocks on Stoll's door and enters and says that he wants to add his sympathy. He says he felt for Stoll and thought he showed restraint. 
Stoll says for a servant in that situation, restraint is Hobson's choice. Hobson's choice being a situation where you don't actually have a choice. Right. Uh, Stoll pulls out some paper and asks Thomas to write something. Uh, Thomas is like, what? And he's like, you know, go on, write something. And Thomas does. And Stoll looks at it, compares it to the note that caused the kerfuffle, and is like, okay, it wasn't you. Yeah, like he's never heard of a false hand. Right. Come on, dude. Agreed. Thomas asks why it would have been him. Stoll offers Thomas a seat and says the staff resents him. Thomas says that that doesn't give Lord Cinderby much excuse. And Stoll sneers at his lordship with a title that's not ten minutes old. He says he knows a lot about Lord Cinderby, and Lord Cinderby forgets that. He is also, it should be noted, a drinking this whole time. Yeah. Thomas says that he suspects that Stoll could tell him some things. Stoll says that he'd be surprised, and Thomas says, well, go on, surprise me. I've missed old scheming, Thomas. I know. This is great. This is great. Like, this is what he should be doing. Yeah, he should always be scheming. Uh-huh. Yeah, ABS. <laughs> That's right. Even Baxter is more fun when he's scheming. Mm -hmm. She seems to have an actual legit purpose. Yeah, she does. I also feel like just getting her out of Downton is just generally good. Yeah, yeah. Out by some stream, Edith says to Atticus, it's a shame that Lord Cinderby didn't come. Atticus says that Lady Cinderby asked him, but he declined. Rose says uh, he's difficult, or shouldn't she say that? Like everybody knows uh, which, yeah. you've been married for like some months now right oh, right you should be allowed to say stuff like we know lord cinderby is difficult we were all at the wedding yeah except for rosamond no and then atticus says she can say what she likes after that dinner and i'm like i think she could say what she likes uh before you know when you chose her over him right. she gets to say things to you yeah um Rose wonders what the truth was about that crazy note, and Edith says that Baxter said it was one of the castle staff who pulled this prank, who right. hates, uh, is it Lord Stoll? Okay, Stoll. Yeah, they hate Stoll. Branson, So well played uh, Baxter on that cover up. Yeah. Branson won't argue with the fact that Stoll is unlikable. Mary says, all right, well, it's over. Again, trying to deflect <laughs> tension from her own part in the, in the charade. And then she wants to know why Atticus and Rose were in a huddle at breakfast. Apparently, Rose says, Atticus has been offered a job in New York City. Mary congratulates him, and then Atticus asks if Branson is also going to America. Branson says he is. As he continues to say. At, despite the fact that he just did a Reddit AMA. <laughs> right. Which made no, like, mention of the fact that maybe he was not going to be around. So yeah. this is very weird. It's all very mysterious. Atticus asks when he will be leaving. He says the new year. Mary says it hasn't been decided yet. And Edith says that Mary hates being left behind while everybody gets on with their lives. And Mary says she hates getting left behind with Edith, burn, and walks away. Yeah. Which is, you know, mean. But also, Edith did start that one. Mm. In the Downton kitchen, Patmore asks uh, Danker if she can't handle a broth. And the Denker says that she'd be good at it. Patmore finishes the sentence, if you only knew where to start. Is that a saying that people have? <laughs> About broth in particular? Yeah. Like, how do you know you'd be good at it if you only knew where to start? Yeah. 101 aphorisms about <laughs> chicken broth. <laughs> if I only knew where to start and then what to do after I had started and so forth until there was broth. So I would know what to do if I knew how to make broth. <laughs> right. Anyway, Denker uh, says that she shouldn't have volunteered, which is true, but says that Patmore would have done the same if she'd seen Spratt. Uh, sure, but you know what? The key difference is uh, Mrs. Patmore definitely can make a broth. Right. She can probably make a broth in her sleep. Yeah, she can make any number of broths on demand. 
Patmore asks if Potter, the cook at the Dower House, would help Danker, but Danker doesn't trust her and thinks she's one of Spratt's minions. Which is probably true. It probably is, yeah. Uh, and Patmore says that, oh, the Dower House sounds more exciting than Downton. Waka waka! Yeah. Um, no. No, it's not. It's not. People rarely die there, yeah. for example. <laughs> Which is weird. Yeah. Considering the advanced age of its <laughs> primary occupant. Back at Lady Murder Jail, Bates asks Murray how much attention they'll pay to this, you know, story about Anna's stepfather. Murray says it establishes a pattern, which it doesn't. Well. Something happening twice can't be a pattern. Uh. There's, it's a statistical anomaly. Look, I'm no barrister. Ugh. Well, neither is Murray. <laughs> well. He's a solicitor. That's a good point. Bates asks, in that case, why Murray is there. Anna rightfully scolds Bates and tells him to shut the fuck up. Yeah. He is there to provide legal defense to your wife. like Who we still aren't sure is entirely innocent. <laughs> right. Uh, at any rate, Anna says that she hopes that they haven't left their manners outside. Murray says that since her stepfather never brought a charge, they may be able to get that ruled inadmissible. Bates asks if he can achieve that. Murray says he'll do everything he can. At this point, Bates, shouldn't you be well aware that the practice of law is not an exact science? Yeah. You can't just go into something and be like, well, this is definitely the result. Yeah. He's uh, just just a dick. And I mean, unless nothing- your last name is Bates. <laughs> right. At that point, you can make it a fair point and be like, one of, you know, you're definitely going to wind up in prison. <laughs> right. For I mean, some it's just, period of time. Uh, for the murder of somebody who probably killed himself. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, at Isabel's, maybe? Unless it's at I think Murdy's. it is Isabel's. Okay. I'm pretty sure. All right. Uh, Isabel tells Murdy that uh, he thinks that she is angry with his sons, but she isn't. Uh, why not? Shouldn't you be angry at his sons? Yeah, they're dicks. They were awful. We should have called them Dick 1 and Dick 2. We should have. But that could have been very confusing because Dickie Merton. That's, yeah. Mm. All right. We'll stick with thing 1 and thing 2. Well, it's established. But know that we think they're dicks. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, Murdy says, uh, Murdy asks why they can't just forget that evening, and Isabel says that she accepts that Dick 1 and Dick 2 uh, don't want to see their mother replaced. Murdy says that it's his fault. He's shielded his sons from the fact that he was wretched with their mother, which I think he means shielded his sons from the fact that she was a raging bitch. Yeah. Well, they still seem to have picked up on it. Yeah, well... She was privately coaching them. The dick doesn't fall far from the bitch. (laughs) Isabel suggests that his wife was wretched with him, and Murdy agrees they were ill-suited, but now his sons are preventing his first chance of real happiness. Which is so depressing. Yeah, it is. Isabel says that she's not prepared to live her life in an atmosphere of loathing or come between a father and his sons. Uh, Murdy goes and sits next to her and asks Isabel if that is the only barrier is the sons. And she says that it is. And Murdy says, well, there is my challenge. Uh, he's being very proactive. He I'm is. definitely team Murdy. Yeah. Go Murdy. I like his style all the way around. Uh, you could have a Bates feed your son some poison pie. <laughs> Danker, Patmore, and Daisy stand over a pan of broth. And Danker seems to have screwed up the onions and oversalted. Right. Daisy suggests that they go ahead and taste it, despite these caveats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it is so awful that all of them react in comically outsized ways. Right. Daisy suggests that she will just make a bottle of broth, bring it to Danker, and she can warm it up and serve it and pass that off as her own broth. 
Uh, and they can even give her ingredients to chop up in front of Sprat, which, look, this is a short-term solution for what is <laughs> shaping up to be a long-term conflict. Right. It's like, give a woman broth, she's got broth for a day. Yeah. Teach her to make broth, you know, Sprat will shut the fuck up. <laughs> right. No, and it, well, that's the thing, too. It, like, it's not only this thing with Sprat. Like, if she passes herself off as a legitimately good broth maker, right. the Dowager may come to expect this. Yeah. And, you know, despite appearances, surely Daisy can't be, you know, trucking broth up to the dower house every day for the rest of her life. Yeah. I mean, they don't even have an ivy around for that anymore. Right. It would cut into her studies. Um, I also don't know how Danker could have screwed up the broth that bad with Patmore and Daisy, like, watching every move. But. Well, they said she went mad with the salt. Yeah. And, I don't, you, you know, man, you can try to closely supervise somebody and they're still going to do some crazy shit. Yeah, fair enough. Back at Lady Murder Jail... Bates asks uh, Murray if Anna's stepfather thing is admitted as evidence, will she be convicted? Murray says that you can never be sure, but that they have a strong motive and can prove opportunity. And Bates completes the sentence saying that they will use the earlier case to prove that it wasn't against her nature to kill Green. And Murray says it's quite a strong case. I really hope she did kill him, honestly. I know. Like. Then at least there'd be a point to all this. Right? You know, like, just give her something, you know? Yeah. Let her become, like, the the silent ruler of Lady Murder Prison, you right. know? Do something interesting. She can be like Dexter. <gasps> yeah. Wait. <laughs> I don't know what that... No, just it doesn't quite work. Killing criminals. Yeah. Probably somebody else kills criminals. Like Frank Miller's Batman. <laughs> right. <laughs> Except she doesn't leave her manners outside. Yeah, and she's animate or she's drawn significantly better <laughs> than anything Frank Miller ever did. <laughs> At Blandcaster, Thomas tells Stoll that the cook says he can announce dinner. Stoll thanks him and then says he's afraid he said too much the previous night as he was angry and drunk. Haven't we all? Yeah. Thomas says, uh, not to worry, he's got a mind like a sieve. Dole nods to Lady Cinderby, who announces dinner. Mary asks Atticus if he will shoot tomorrow, and he feels he must give way to the uninvited guest. Branson says he can have his place, and Atticus says no, it's fine. He's already been out twice for good days of shooting, and he doesn't merit any pity. Yeah, and also Ma- shooting. Like, who gives a shit? Right, seems boring. Mary hopes his neighbor knows how accommodating Atticus is being, and Atticus says she can tell him herself he's staying the night. Mary says not to tempt her, and she can't believe how people take things for granted. Branson says, we can't all be as unselfish as you, Mary. She gives him a look, and he says, just joking. Mary rolls her eyes. This is the closest I've ever seen myself portrayed on screen. (laughs) To be perfectly frank. Right. I'm like, I'm going to get angry about something that really doesn't matter that much, and then be very put out with anybody who dares to criticize me. It's true. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, you've been on the, uh, you know... Uh, receiving end of my eye rolling. That's true. I imagine it's happened on this podcast from time to time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. In Hughes's parlor, Carson comes in saying that Hughes will like the wine he brought. Why? Is he just pinching wine now? He is. Didn't Bates slash Thomas almost get fired for this? They did, yeah. But uh, not, you know, it's like, oh, well, Carson can't get fired for it. He's the only one who knows what wine they have. That's true. Like Lord Grantham's going to notice anything. Yeah, it's like stealing toner <laughs> once you're like a store manager. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Carson says that he's done the sums and thinks they should put an offer in on the house on Brownker Road. Uh, Hugh says... Uh, ask, you know, says that she hasn't agreed to be a part of it yet, but Carson says that he hopes she will and toast their future as property magnates, but Hughes sets down her glass. <gasps> yes. 
She says there's no escape and she must tell the truth. Carson says that he's never caught her in a lie and Hughes says, yes, but there are things she doesn't say. Carson has a seat and Hughes says that she's let this go on because it was a nice idea and she would have liked it all to happen, but she can't. She says that she has a sister. Carson did not know that. Uh, Hughes says that she wanted him to think she didn't have a family, but she says that her sister Becky is not quite right in the head and her mother looked after her before she died but afterwards hughes's choice was either to give up work or continue working and pay for her sister's care and it cost every penny she could spare she's got no savings and she is a pauper carson asks about her retirement and she says she can't retire she must work for as long as anyone will let her she wishes carson well with his house but there's no place for her there's a bit of an awkward pause there. She says that she's embarrassed him, but Hugh says that he is ashamed that he chivied and bullied her. Hugh says, not to say that, she's enjoyed their dream and she strung him along because she was enjoying it. And anyway, she hopes he's still able to buy the house. Carson says that he is, but is then interrupted by Bates, who has a telegram for Murray and wants to use the phone. He says it's bad news. Carson says, sure. And Bates goes off to Why the does other room. even ask? Right. To use it's the phone. not cuz I first assumed they were in the room with the phone, but they're not. No. That's down in the Carson cave. Yeah. Um yeah, so I don't totally hate this development. Agreed. But it feels like a bit of I mean, obviously it's a retcon, mm-hmm. but like it feels like it doesn't quite hang with the storyline where Mrs. Hughes's old suitor came back. Oh, right. When she was sort of like weighing the pros and cons of that, mm-hmm. this would have been a consideration. You know yeah. what I mean? And I would have to go back and review it and see. Right. I don't think there's any reason to suppose that this has been something that they've known about her. You right, know what I right, mean? right. Agreed. And that's not super egregious. And I would also say that it is consistent with her general sort of like, I feel like she's had a lot of sort of fatalistic like, why worry about retirement? Yeah. You know, we'll, you know, we could die any time sort of thing mm-hmm. because she's sort of hoping she does die before she ends up in the, uh, you know, uh, poor house. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, there's some consistency there. Yeah. Well, uh, good news, Mrs. Hughes. Your sister actually probably is fine in the head from time to time. This being Downton Abbey, <laughs> uh, I'm sure that her disability just fades in and out. Yeah, no, that's with a good the point. Wind. So check into that. Yeah. It might be okay. Yeah. Uh, turns out she got better. She's a successful nurse. <laughs> <laughs> dogs run around in a field as dogs are wont to do. <laughs> Lord Cinderby asks Rose to chum Tom and puts Mary with Talbot. Talbot being the uninvited guest. Yes. Played by the devastatingly handsome uh, stealer of souls. <laughs> That's Matthew Good. That's right. Matthew Good is amazing. I love him so much. Yeah. And I, I had completely forgotten that he was in this Christmas special, even though we watched it. And so I'm watching through as I'm putting together the, the recap and it gets to, and actually I didn't even see him in this scene. I was thinking, wasn't paying attention. The next scene, like all of a sudden, like his eyes just gazed out from the screen and pierced me. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I gasped audibly. You're, yeah. You're basically gay now. <laughs> <laughs> I was stunned. Whatever your sexual orientation is, Matthew Good will make sure that you're a good sexual <laughs> after he's finished with you. Ah, he's so hot. Yeah. Luckily we get to look at him for a while. Yes, we do. Although I do find it a bit disconcerting that he is in this Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Well, it just seems a bit uh, below his normal pay grade. Well, possibly, but I mean, it is the Christmas special. That's true. You know, and 
you know, the lines between television and movie are so They blurred. did have George Clooney in that ITV, you know, Christmas <laughs> right. parody. So. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> At any rate, Lady Cinderby gives Lord Cinderby a look, uh, and he tells everybody else to sort out the the chummings <laughs> right and he walks off lady cinderby follows him edith doesn't know where she should go rose says to go where she likes and suggests mr rogers <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood a beautiful day for a shooting <laughs> would you be grouse <laughs> come to my house <laughs> I have always wanted a shooter just like you. <laughs> I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood where people bring uninvited guests. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. We got Matthew good. We hope that he'll stay. The doorbell rings. Who could that be? Why, it's a dog with a fresh kill. <laughs> Go to the land of make-believe, where we hit every grouse. <laughs> At any rate, Mr. Rogers would prefer to be alone. Uh, some dude says he wouldn't mind Edith's company, and he is Bertie Pelham, the agent. And Edith asks if he's often dro- a- and Edith asks if he's often asked to join the shooting. He says no, but he's staying for dinner even, which is real swell of Lord and Lady Cinderby. Yeah. He's basically the British version of that over-enthusiastic American footman <laughs> from uh, the previous Christmas special. Right. But thankfully... Oh, he's so British that he's not annoying. Yeah, But exactly. it's just very like, what you, what's your deal? Yeah. So Mary and Talbot are in the bud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she should tell him about that other time somebody was in her butt. I'm talking about Mr. Pamu. Oh, right. She, uh, she probably shouldn't just yet. Not at their first shoot. <laughs> uh, so Talbot thanks Mary for her company, and she says that some men hate having strangers with them, including Lord Grantham. Uh, but he says he doesn't mind, and he especially doesn't mind Mary. She asks if he's staying with Mr. Rogers. Uh, he confirms, and she asks if he shoots a lot. He says, not at this level. And Mary says, oh, that explains it. And then is like, oh, I shouldn't have said anything, blah, blah, blah. But then tells her how she's mad because Atticus isn't shooting because he's there. Who cares? I know. Atticus Atticus. is there the whole summer. He can go out and shoot literally whenever he feels like it. They're his grouse. (laughs) Greases? They're his greases. That's right. Yeah. Talbot says he'll switch places with Atticus after this drive, but Mary says that Atticus's guns are back at the castle and to forget she said anything, except, you know, don't feel bad, but then don't blame me. Um, Talbot? This is like a master class in bitchery. <laughs> yeah. The only way it could be better is if Mabel Lane Fox showed up to give feedback. <laughs> I'm just on my way to a cooler party, but I thought I'd stop by. <laughs> Talbot asks Mary if her husband is shooting. Uh, Mary says... That her late husband was quite good at it in the end. (laughs) Right? He he potted two grouse as he was bleeding to death in that ditch. (laughs) Um, Talbot says that she is a young widow, but then the war has given them many young widows. With a bitterness that implies he was over there. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Uh, Mary says it wasn't the war. It was much dumber than that. (laughs) Uh, And then the grouse come along and everybody gets to shooting. Uh, Talbot hits a grouse, but says that it was a fluke. I don't think so. Yeah. 
I'm not sure what Talbot's deal is, mm-hmm. but uh, I suspect that he shoots quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Men all uh, go out with nets and whatnot to right. pick up the grouse, the greases. Yes. And in Pelham's butt, <laughs> Edith asks how long he's been the agent. He says a year and a half, but he's been at Blancaster all his life. Uh, he says the old Lord Hexham was his father's second cousin. And Edith says, which is why you were given the job. And he says it's a leading question, but admits that she's right. Uh, listen, dude, if you're going to accept nepotism, yeah. be prepared for people to point it out. Well, plus, it's Britain. You're legally required to only accept jobs from people you're related to. Yeah. Like, He says he left the army and didn't know what to do. And his cousin Peter felt sorry for him. She asks if he has any ambitions. He says, no, he's jealous of those chaps who fly the channel or invent a cure or something. And I'm like, I think maybe you're setting yourself up for failure, dude. Right. Like, you can't do those things. Yeah. They've already been done. He asks if Edith is pining for something. And she says, not today. She feels very happy. Uh, Greases come out and people shoot at them. Daisy walks to the door of the dower house and is greeted by Spratt. He asks if he can help her with anything. She says, no, thanks. She just looked in on Denker. He asks what she's carrying and sees that her basket is empty. And Daisy says, oh, yeah, I'm just going to stop by the shops on my way back. Daisy's a terrible liar. And she should not have been trusted to, you know, carry out this plan. Yeah. Well, it's like Spratt has nothing better to do than foil the counterplot that he knows full well is developing. That's true. In the Dower Garden, Isabel, she has news. And they rehash Murdabelle's last scene. And Isabel's had a letter from Thing One, Larry. And the Dowager asks if it's polite. And Isabel starts to read it. And it says, Dear Mrs. Crawley, the Dowager says it's a good start. And in possibly my favorite line reading Mm -hmm. that this show has ever had, Isabel says quite earnestly, the sentiment of the greeting is not reflected in the text. Yeah. Which is great. It's so uh, great. It also is very true. (laughs) Yeah. Because the letter says that Murdy has asked him to re-examine his feelings and he has found them to be unchanged. And he hopes that Isabel will prevent Murdy from any more attempts to change his mind. The Dowager asks if she's shown it to Murdy. She's not sure that she should. And the Dowager supposes she'll take it lying down. Isabel says, I'll take it lying down, standing up, or in a semi-recumbent posture. (laughs) But she says that she won't have her final years overshadowed with a tear-stained tug of war. I don't think things one and two have tear ducts that (laughs) Right. The Dowager says that there's one consolation. Dr. Clarkson will be delighted. Will he? Yeah. God, he is just like, you know, he's like friend-zoned by both of them somehow. Right. Well, she's, he's just a punchline as far as the Dowager's no, concerned. No, So she laughs and Isabel does not. Yeah. Because uh, she's like, dude, quit, quit bothering that guy. Right. No, and I like, you know, this again, the evolution of their relationship with Isabel saying, I will take it sitting down, standing up in a semi-recumbent posture. Like, she's just much more, I don't know, like, she was always feisty with the Dowager, but just, like, Mm -hmm. in a different way. Like, she's not worried about her approval. No, and she's, yeah, she's not always, uh, you know, regardless of her title, they're more on equal footing now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, her son did finally provide a male heir. That's true. Before he ridiculously died. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. As they return from the hunt, Stoll gives Lord Grantham a note. Uh, it's from Murray saying that there's a date for Anna's trial. Mary asks what they're talking about. Lord Grantham starts to answer, but then doubles over in pain. And McGee says, that is it. He will not shoot anymore today or tomorrow. Lord Grantham says not to embarrass him. And she says that she won't if he does what she says. Boom. Yeah. Atticus asks how he can help. And Lord Grantham says to take his place at the shoot. 
Edith asks, what's the matter? And he says, he just needs to take it easy. And McGee says, if only he'd chosen not to be all man-like and keep it concealed. Man, McGee's so great. She is. Can just, can season six just be McGee? <laughs> yeah. Just a one-woman show. Yeah. <laughs> McGee with a G. <laughs> Pelham asks what he can do, and Edith suggests fetching Atticus's guns, and Lord Grantham complains that everybody's making a fuss. Uh, Mary asks about Anna, and Lord Grantham says that they'll know more when they get home. Why can't Atticus just use somebody else's guns? Is it like wands in Harry Potter? Apparently. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Just like, use, uh, you, you point... Quit, quit being so precious with your guns. Yeah, like point the end at the bird and then pull the trigger yeah. and hope the bird dies. Like, what? <laughs> it's pretty basic. Yeah. At the lunch tent, Mary tells Talbot that Lord Grantham gave his place to Atticus, and then Talbot asks for forgiveness. He doesn't want Mary scowling at him all through dinner. Mary says she'll scowl if he deserves it. Talbot says he never meant this and asks if there's something called forgiveness for good intention. Mary says it's only for Catholics. (laughs) Boom! Yeah. Ah, Catholics. We get everything. (laughs) We do. Religion-wise. That's right. Sacraments and whatnot. Yeah, you can't hold us to anything. We got confession, bitches. (laughs) That's right. In the dower kitchen, Spratt accuses Dinker of planning to serve Daisy's broth. Dinker breaks for the cupboard looking for the broth, but Spratt pulls it from behind his back and pours it down the sink. And as he was doing this, I thought to myself, what a strange life Spratt leads. Well, they don't have cable. (laughs) Well, that's true. But just, he's so invested in this. And it's just, it just, wow, what a weird dude. (laughs) Anyway, he says Dinker must make the broth herself and wishes her luck. I wish you luck. A car pulls up to Blandcaster, and we see some grown-up feet and child feet get out of it. Inside, Lord Cinderby asks after Lord Grantham's health. Lord Grantham says that he's fine. Talbot says the shooting was great. Mary asks McGee if Lord Grantham is really ill, and she says that she doesn't know, just wants to get him home in one piece. Mm -hmm. Lady Cinderby tells Stoll that they should wait on something, and then turns to see a woman and a boy entering the room to dramatic music. Right. Lady Cinderby asks Stoll who they are, and Lord Cinderby says, God Almighty. We weren't expecting God on this weekend. (laughs) Rose asks what's up, and then says to tell her the woman's name, and she'll save him. He says, Diana Clark. And Rose rushes over just ahead of the approaching Lady Cinderby to greet Diana, saying she never thought she'd make it. Rose introduces her as a friend, and Lady Cinderby says she must stay for tea and asks the kid's name. Uh, Diana introduces him as Daniel. Lady Cinderby, uh, proving that ignorance is bliss, <laughs> says that's Lord Cinderby's name and takes her <laughs> husband's bastard son off to get a sweetie, presumably. Yeah. Lord Cinderby sits down very heavily and Rose tells Diana to just play along. It's all going to be fine. And Diana says that the telegram that she received said that Lord Cinderby uh, would be alone and that she should bring the boy. Yeah. Rose says that she's sure it did, but he didn't send it. Atticus comes up and introduces himself and asks the mother of his half-brother why they haven't met. Diana uh, also feels this is ridiculous. Uh, one, one wonders, wow, this is just yeah. many, many different layers of uh, self-awareness here. <laughs> right. Lord Grantham asks Mary who that is. She says she can't be a great friend of Rose's. Mary <laughs> says that she asked Thomas to get stole in trouble and thinks he may have overdone it. <laughs> Lady Cinderby asks Lord Cinderby what's wrong, because it looks like he had a stroke. He says he's just a bit tired. He'll lie down before dinner. Stoll gives him a worried look, and Mary tells Rose how eager they are to meet your very old friend, because she (laughs) remains a bitch. (laughs) 
Rose asks her to help, and Mary says she will only if Rose fills her in. She nods, and as Lady Cinderby comes over again, Mary says how lovely it is to see Diana again. Lord Grantham gets the message. <laughs> right. And asks how long it's been since she was last at Downton, and Diana says, well, <laughs> luckily, Lady Cinderby excuses herself, and Diana says, I wish he'd come and speak to me, but I suppose he can't. Lord Grantham, <laughs> who still has not figured out what's going on, right. says... Who? <laughs> Mary ra- raises her eyebrows at him and he finally understands yeah. what they're dealing with here. Diana says she's come all the way from London and asks who would do such a nasty thing. Rose thinks she knows, but it won't help to tell her. Downstairs, Molesley asks Bates if he's going somewhere. And Bates says that he is and asks a favor for Molesley to pass some letters from him to Carson. Molesley says that Carson's around somewhere, but Bates says no, and he doesn't want the letters passed on until evening. Molesley asks if Bates is in trouble, and he says his wife's in prison, so yes. Molesley says he'd gladly help in any way he can. Bates says he's touched, which I doubt is true. Yeah. Uh, but to just deliver the letters. Yeah, potatoes sooner- don't have feelings. Even sentient potatoes. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, Yeah, great. So I assume he's off to stage a daring prison break. Yes. Diana gets in a car outside Blancaster and tells Rose that she saved Lord Cinderby, but she saved her too, and she is grateful. Rose says there's no need. Diana says, try not to think ill of him. Uh, Rose isn't sure what she thinks, uh, except, you know, probably ill. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, but she says maybe it's good to know that he has feet of clay just like the rest of us. Atticus says goodbye. No doubt we'll be in London. <laughs> and the car pulls off to the strains of dramatic irony. He's just so cheerfully dumb. I know. <laughs> Edith sees Pelham by a car and asks if he's leaving. Uh, he's not. He's just looking for his white tie. And Edith's like, oh, of course. You said you were staying for dinner. We uh, have a relationship in this episode, apparently. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, well, Edith is only allowed to date in the middle class now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Stoll paces around, and Mary says he looks like he's in a cage with a tiger and wonders if Rose will give him away. Rose calls to him and asks how he knew about Diana. Stoll asks if she'll tell Lord Cinderby. Rose says she hasn't decided, but in the meantime, she certainly hopes Stoll is more polite to Branson. Uh, he agrees that he will be. This all seems just, like, a bit much. Like, maybe he's being rude to Tom, but this is just beyond the fucking pale. It is beyond the pale, but I don't think, I mean, I don't think, I I think that Rose and Mary would both agree with that, but since it's happened, they're going to take the advantage. Well, which is fine. But what I also... Well, but uh, they also think that Stoll is the one who did this, I think. Or do they think Thomas No, I think, because Mary said something about she thinks Thomas went too far. okay. And well, and the other thing that doesn't quite make sense is Lord Sinterby has to know that this, like, Stoll was, like, the only one who knew, I thought. Yeah, was that's true. So it's, like, his fault regardless of whether Rose says anything. But anyway, whatever. It was, uh, it was a fun scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As people are going through, Lord Sinterby asks Rose, Mary, and Lord Grantham to hang back and closes the door. He says he wasn't sure he could catch the three of them together, and Lord Grantham tries to be all breezy and ignoring the situation, but Lord... I says, say, did you hear I might have angina? <laughs> That's my tragedy. I wouldn't worry about it. I might be dead soon. <laughs> Lord Cinderby says that they saw his humiliation, and he wonders who planned it. Mary says, well, everyone has enemies. And Lord Cinderby says he would be grateful if they kept the secret to prevent hurting Lady Cinderby or Atticus. Well, plus, it would be so hard to explain to Lady At- or to Atticus. Yeah, you know, you would tell him to be like, "I don't, I don't follow." <laughs> <laughs> You're saying you have a son, but I'm your son. 
Yes, but, but my father is married to my mother, so something's not right here. He's like the real Bertie Wooster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he wasn't, you know, a gadabout. Right. He's the, he's the much more, like, sober, responsible. Yes. He's like if Jeeves and Bertie Wooster had a baby. <laughs> oh, the hijinks. Anyway. Lord Grantham agrees to keep the secret, and Lord Cinderby says that it could have been worse, and Rose prevented that. And that she is clever, kind, and resourceful, and he now sees that they are lucky to have her in the family, and he will invite her parents to stay. My advice, just invite Shrimpy. Right? Like, come on. Susan is only going to make everybody miserable. Yeah. Honestly, like, have Susan killed. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure, like, you don't really want to involve, you know, the Granthams because they're family. But, like, come on. I'm sure there's plenty of other noble families who'll go in on an assassin. (laughs) Have (laughs) these? Yes, uh, Rose says he doesn't have to invite them, but he thinks he does, glass houses and whatnot, and then he announces that there's a gramophone in the library, and Rose is super stoked. It's like when you would stay in a hotel and they would have cable, you know? She was super excited. So she heads off with Mary to sample the delights of the gramophone. Lord Grantham tells Lord Cinderby that Rose will love him forever if he lets her. That's who she is. Uh, Lord Cinderby says he knows that and was stupid not to have seen it before. I'm just curious if he has a continuing relationship with this woman. Yeah. It's and very unclear. It is very I mean, unclear. I mean, it could definitely be a situation where, like, they had a relationship and he was like, no, this has to stop, but I'll continue to, like, financially support you right, since right. I got you pregnant. Exactly. Um, or maybe it's still going on. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's, it is it is left ambiguous. Yeah. So, uh, you know, who knows? Yeah. Jazz! <laughs> Edith fires up the gramophone. Rose and Atticus dance as to Mary and Talbot. Uh, Branson is off on his own and Stoll asks if he can get anything. Mary smiles, says that makes it worth it. Talbot asks what she means and she says, suffice it to say the butler is back in his box because somebody's not a snob. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well. Talbot actually says that sounds snobbish. <laughs> right. Huh, egg on my face. Yeah. Mary says not this time, but when, no. When you that's talk about putting true. somebody in a box. Yeah. Uh, You're either yeah. a snob or, or a psychopath. Yeah, or uh, no doubt. <laughs> well, right. I was going to say R. Kelly, but I was like, no, that's trapped in the closet. Yeah, that's a whole other situation. Talbot wants to know what the deal was with that random woman. Mary claims in ignorance, and then Talbot points out everything that was weird about it. <laughs> yeah. Which was everything. <laughs> Mary won't answer, but says she's impressed that he's asked these questions. Mm-hmm. So he seems to be a bit more of an intellectual match for her mm-hmm. than old Gilly ever was. Right. The Atticus of London. <laughs> Branson dances with Edith and asks if she's looking forward to going home, uh, if she's missing Marigold. Edith asks if he if he's missing Sibby. He says, not quite as much, because uh, I'm allowed to publicly acknowledge her as my daughter, and therefore I'm less insane. Right. Edith asks what he's trying to say, and he says, not a lot, but these are his last months at Downton, and he'd like them to be honest. He says, where he grew up, there were quite a few Marigolds. Uh, Edith says she doesn't understand, because, you know, Tamworth, you know? <laughs> Branson thinks that she does understand. He says his cousin Nula had a child brought up as her sister. Uh, and nobody talked about it, but everybody knew. Right. And Edith Just says, like they did talk about the fact that her name was Nula. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> like, is that, is that the real punishment if you're a child born out of wedlock? You're going to have a terrible name. Yeah. Nula Gold. Uh, I mean, you know, I was born out of wedlock and my name is Kelly Ann Anakin. Yeah. So. You, you make a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> 
Edith says that she had told Lord Grantham about the truth, although really Lord Grantham beat it out of her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Branson says that he had guessed. And he asks if Mary knows. Edith says no. But luckily, she's completely uninterested in me <laughs> and asks Branson to keep it to himself. And Branson says he will. Uh, believe it or not, he's now a signed up member of the family. Uh, which, you know, considering how shallow your commitment to the Fenians was, <laughs> time will only tell. Right. Signed up in the sense that you've been telling everyone for the last year how excited you are to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Well, again, it's much easier to be an involved member of your family when you don't have to see them every day. Yeah, that's a good point. A new song starts up, and Pelham asks to dance with Edith, uh, says that she's looking intense, and she says that they were just talking about her ward, uh, Marigold. She asks what the new Lord Hexham is like, since he's Pelham's cousin. Pelham says that he's his third cousin. So, you know, he has no idea, basically. Uh, she asks if he's nice, and he says, well, he's all right. He's almost always in North Africa. Probably mucking around with Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, it's possible. Or, uh, you know, Herr Hitler. He's not Nor- Herr Rommel. Yeah. Yeah. He asks if Edith always asks so Do they many- think this Herr Rommel had something <laughs> to do with it? <laughs> he asks if Edith always asks so many questions. She's- she says, yes, I own a newspaper. <laughs> My job. Um, it would be nice for Edith if she could get married to somebody, because then couldn't she just straight up adopt Marigold? Or, you know, something. Oh, yeah. But, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know if she can ever, like, claim her as her natural daughter, but... It's hard. Well, maybe they could go off to North Africa and live there. Yeah. Like, oh, in, the like in the Last, last Mistress. Ah, oh, man. <laughs> the last Mistress is so great, guys. Yeah. It's not in the right time period, but man, <laughs> is it sexy. Yeah. We actually, we, we skipped over a little scene earlier at Downton where they read Bates's letter, which was a confession that he killed Green and is going on the run. Oh my God. Did I do that? Yeah. But- I didn't know. Look, this is how completely opposed I am to Lady Murder Prison. Ooh. I was just like, nope. Right. And I, I saw it and I let it happen, but I just wanted to establish that that happened and then Moldsley asked for the key to the Bates motel. <laughs> uh yeah so now we see detective Mosley is on the case he's going through various drawers in the bates house finds some photos and uh an iud and blows <laughs> his lamp out yeah not clear why he blows his lamp out like yeah don't you still need to get outside are, are these glow-in-the-dark photos it's like, possible yeah it could be they're all they're black light photos for when they get stoned <laughs> The next morning, Talbot's getting in his car. Mary comes out and says she's glad she caught him and hopes it didn't, he hopes it didn't spoil her breakfast. She says she hasn't had her breakfast yet. Uh, he says that they wanted to make an early start and Charlie's got plans. Mary says goodbye and she feels guilty about trying to make him feel uncomfortable, uh, cause she forgot how blisteringly attractive <laughs> he was. He says she was right, he'll be less cavalier next time. Mary says they might meet again and asks if he's ever in Yorkshire. He says he has an aunt there, so you never know. <laughs> Mary says they might meet shooting. He says shooting isn't his real sport. His real sport is cars. Oh. Charlie says they have to go. Mary admires the car and says Mr. Rogers must have, must have hidden deaths. Talbot laughs and says, no, the car is mine. Thanks her for the compliment and then leaps into the car <laughs> in very cavalier fashion. Uh, so then he drives off and Mary looks like she just came. She does. Which, okay. I have a number of criticisms of this scene. <laughs> right. First of all, again, Matthew Good, a legit movie star. Yes. Like I know he's not as, as prominent as he once was. Mm-hmm. But to my knowledge, uh, he continues to get work. Although I guess he's worked consistently in British television the whole time. And let's not forget that, that Paul Giamatti was in oh, a Christmas that's special. True. 
God, they must pay so much for a Christmas special. I guess so. Anyway. Um, so that's one. Anyway, so yeah. So there's no indication if he'll be back. Right. Number it's two, left very unclear. Shouldn't the fact that he's super into cars cause you at least a moment's like pause? Yeah. Like, like is this? Because like this seems like a person who's into like legit racing cars. Right. Not just refusing to look at the road cars. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> is this? He's actively courting danger. Yeah. And like, what does is she this... have some sort of weird like? You know that movie Crash? Is, is it like that? That's what I've been attempting to say for the last 30 seconds. He has yes. been sitting here like just like opening and closing his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's, I, that's it's what very I was thinking. weird. It's, well, she, no, she's just like, I mean, it's either like, you know, ever since the bloody death of my husband, I found something powerfully. Or she's just like, well, I guess if you're so into cars, you probably won't die in a car crash. Look, there's a couple different interpretations. and I don't know what they're going for. Also... I just think Matthew Good is too psychosexually complex to be on this show. <laughs> like they used him well. They did. But it's like he's like scary. He and is. I mean that in the most sexy way possible. <laughs> right. But I mean, he's the kind he you know, whatever his characters are, you always feel like he's got a hidden agenda, which I hope is true of the well, real you Matthew know, Good. I mean what he's got is the intensity that I think the fellows in Neem imagine that Bates has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he'll teach you how to brood yeah he'll brood you to death like literally <laughs> anyway so this is perhaps a thing but like come on charles blake though right well you would think look i think the deal is they negotiate with matthew good and when he turns them down they you know pull blake back from poland you know and- god damn this damn show because <laughs> i'm still excited to see what happens i know i can't believe it i know i really can't believe it I know. like it's absurd yeah anyway the cars pull up to downton uh carson welcomes lord grantham and says that bates is gone lord grantham doesn't understand since you've been bates <laughs> i can't bates for the first time i'm so moving bates bates thanks to you now I kill, I kill who I want. <laughs> yeah. And for once, Lord Grantham is correct to say that he doesn't understand. Yeah. There's, it doesn't, it, it's not understandable. <laughs> anyway, Carson says that he doesn't know what's going on, but there is a letter. Uh, and then downstairs, Thomas asks Carson if that means that he will be valid. Uh, and Carson's like, I, I don't know. This is all very weird. Like it's been 15 minutes. <laughs> right. Uh, Baxter says then this means that they'll release Anna, and Carson assumes that Lord Grantham is calling Murray as they speak. In the library, uh, okay, did this come up and we didn't say it? So Bates has confessed to the murder of Green. Right. That was a scene we, we skipped. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Pfft. Yeah. Pshaw. Right. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so Bates has confessed to murdering Green with the prediction that they will then have to free Anna. Right. In the library, Mary asks Lord Grantham where Bates would have gone, and Lord Grantham says probably Ireland, as he has family there, and the English police are not too well regarded. Uh, possibly because of all those people they've been shooting dead over the last few hundred years. Prince and Pobson, who said that? <laughs> the English police work very hard in difficult <laughs> circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> Mary asks why Anna has not been released yet. Uh, it's because nobody has told Murray what's going on. <laughs> right. It's not the servant's lookout. No. Like, this is only a hobby for the family. Right. It's like they can't call Murray. They have to call a servant solicitor. Yeah. 
It's just that stick poking kid. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you out, Mr. Bates. <laughs> May you please the court? Poke. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to call my first witness, Monsieur Leclerc. <laughs> Poke. <laughs> I don't know why I come. <laughs> Just when I think I am out, he pokes me back in again. Uh, incidentally, if you haven't already, you can follow the handle for our upcoming Mr. Selfridge podcast, uh, The Palm Court. It's at Palm Court Cast. And uh, that's exciting. We're obviously, man. Yeah, synergy. Look, if, they br- if Eyeliner brings back that stick poking kid. <laughs> oh, man, Eyeliner. Right? Uh, there's so much. There's so much. Yeah. There's so much, you guys. There really is. Ah! Anyway, <laughs> McGee says she doesn't think Bates did it. And Mary says Anna also didn't do it. And I'm like, have you guys, has it occurred to you guys at any point? You have at least two actual known criminals. Granted, Bates did not actually steal that stuff that he took the blame for for Vera. Right. God, somebody's got a type. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you know, Baxter's a legit jewel thief. Yeah. Like you guys don't do like, I have been told that like the number one most important thing about management is hiring <laughs> and being able to hire good people. Yeah. And it's like, half your staff has been in prison right? or is mostly. Yeah. Like, like, right. And then like somebody that Rose hired that was a criminal or was that just Baxter? Did I, Rose hire somebody like she hung out with Jack Ross? No, that was like. They were at the post office. I don't know. It's something that happened. Oh, there. God. No, it was fucking Braithwaite. That cat yeah, lady. The, yeah. Who has never Back been arrested for her crimes. <laughs> right. But definitely raped Branson. <laughs> and nobody talked about it. Yeah, that's a... Even we didn't talk about no, it. No, you're right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh I also... God. Have we discussed the theory that Mary killed Green? I don't remember whether we've talked about it or I don't not. think so. Did somebody write a letter about that? I think so. Or I saw it around or it was on our Facebook page or something. But there's, there's that theory running around, which is how Mary is so certain of the Anna's and Bates's innocence. I can't, I honestly cannot see Mary, you know, throwing down for the sisterhood. I can't see it on either. On any level. I was just throwing it out Even there. if it meant she got to keep her maid and yeah. her maid stopped having PTSD all over her <laughs> jewels. Right. She's also tall. Yeah, she is tall. So. She's taller than Bates. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, just throwing that out there because I'd seen it around. <sighs> so many theories. So little time. <laughs> Downstairs, Mosley asks Baxter if she's caught up with herself, and she says she will by dinner, uh, and asks about a plan that they have apparently already discussed involving Bates's photo. Uh, you know, like they're going to do Andy Warhol seventy years early, <laughs> right? That, or I was thinking some sort of voodoo, like summoning sort of situation. Yeah, that would be cool. Draw a chalk circle around it, and you know, limp around. <laughs> Uh, she would like to help. Limp around. Her. Limp around. <laughs> limp up, limp up, and get down. Listen, limp guys. up, limp up, and fall down. <laughs> That's so much better. Well. We should really rehearse these things <laughs> instead of making them up on the fly. Why do we do this live? <laughs> we don't. I know. Uh, anyway, yeah, Baxter wants to help with this plan, and Molson says, great, but not to tell anyone else, unless, of course, this plan works. Great. Yeah, sure. Up in their bedroom, Lord Grantham tells McGee that Murray will get Anna out, and she says, that's something. Lord Grantham says yes, strangely, and McGee is like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And so he says that Bates's letter left contact information if they should need to get in touch with him. McGee asks if he's told anyone else, and Lord Grantham says, not Carson. 
that oh, Bates, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. If Bates told him, and he says Carson hasn't got that information, so no. He asks what they should do. She says what they should do is tell the police, but what she would do is wait until they know more. Lord Grantham's glad they both have a criminal turn of mind, uh, which I would argue is what got them into this mess in the first place. <laughs> right. Well, a car pulls up to Downton and Murray and Anna get out. She says that she should go around the back. Murray says, no, no, pretend you're a real person. Uh, as Lord Grantham and Mary come out, they say they were waiting for and watching the drive for the car. Anna says that she's not released. She's on bail. Uh, but Lord Grantham says that they could never hope for a guilty verdict. Oh, my God. The rose-colored glasses here are so thick. They are. Uh, Anna says that if they find Bates and prove him innocent, then she will go back to prison. Uh, Murray says that it's frustrating. Anna says that if she's guilty, he's innocent and vice versa, except neither of them did it. She says that. Right. Okay. Sorry. So this is her first legit claim that she didn't do it yeah that's a good point i mean i don't mean like she's presumably made that claim off screen but like Mm -hmm, we've never mm -hmm. seen her right definitely say i didn't do it yeah but she she does uh so mary says that they must prove that murray says well at least we're going forward and not backward they're kind of you know Uh, yeah i would call this stasis yeah they're whirling whirling into the future (laughs) Um, twirling twirling thank you Uh, he asked what happened to his (laughs) kodos Murray asks if he can take the car back to the station. I would hope so. Like, he's he's not going to walk. No, man. Not with that mustache. <laughs> right. Uh, Lord Grantham says that they will go together as he has to be in York in 30 minutes. Uh, and he asks Carson to tell McGee where he went. Mary asks Anna if she wants to come in the front door. And she says, no, might as well get back into the swing of things. Once again, we see the servant being the more conservative party. Mm-hmm. In the dower kitchen... <laughs> Spratt asks if this is the famous broth. Uh, it is. Yeah. He asks if Danker is ready to be judged on it. And she says she'll be judged by Spratt regardless. He says yes. He'll judge her for her lies and fraud, as will the Dowager Countess. And I would really like to point out, as he says, Danker's unmasking is at hand. Dude? Yeah. Calm down. <laughs> fraud? He's like the British equivalent of that leave Britney alone kid. <laughs> Yeah, he's very high-strung about Danker. Yeah. So Danker opens the lid of the broth, and it smells terrible. The dowager walks in, and he's, and she says, Spratt helpfully reminded her about the broth, uh, because unlike Spratt, she has other things going on in her life. <laughs> right. Danker is sure he reminded her. Spratt says, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, m'lady. <laughs> and I'm like, this is... That is not... There's a reason the phrase is the proof is in the pudding and not like, shut up. Right. The dowager asks if she can Looks taste like it. pudding. Danker reluctantly gives her a spoon. Dowager Countess tastes the broth. Spratt says he warned her, but she says it is delicious. Uh, Spratt sprats it up with the face and the hey, hey, hey. <laughs> right. And he says it's not possible. And the Dowager Countess says there is a point where malice ceases to be amusing. She thanks Danker, who says she's not hungry enough to do it justice. Let us save its delights for another day. Yeah. Uh, which is her way of being like, don't you ever fucking make broth again. <laughs> Danker laughs and throws a towel at Spratt, and there's a freeze frame, and are we done? I hope we're done. (laughs) Right. They both jump up and high five. (laughs) Yeah. That was definitely a valuable way to spend 10 minutes of this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And presumably 20 minutes of this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we think it's done, but God knows, like, it'll probably be a whole season-long arc next season. (laughs) 
Dr. Clarkson shows up. Only Miss Danker's broth can bring the dowager out of this coma. <laughs> but my broth is terrible. I knew it. <laughs> It's called Strange Broth Fellows. <laughs> McGee enters the drawing room, sees Lord Grantham there, thought that he would look in on her before coming down to tell her what happened at York, but he says that he wanted to wait until they were all together. Uh, and he announces... Why, dude? She's your wife. I, she should get first dibs. I agree. That is our policy. Oh, yeah. If it, I'm going to tell anybody anything, I tell you first so we can talk shit about all the ways other people are going to react. Exactly. Anyway, he announces that he is not about to drop dead of a heart attack, uh, but he has an ulcer. Mary says that that's a relief, and Edith agrees, but says he must be careful with his diet. Uh, McGee agrees as well. She says, white fish, chicken, no alcohol, and Lord Grantham's like, gramophone scratch? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, McGee says that she means it. She doesn't like to be frightened. Shouldn't the man in York have given you all of these guidelines? Uh, well, he probably did, but he probably just didn't, you know, he's like, well, I won't mention the yeah. alcohol part. Well, also, let's yeah, not forget. Yeah, like anytime people get prescribed birth control and they're like, don't smoke, and they're like, oh, yeah, definitely not, <laughs> wink, wink. You mean I should keep smoking, right? <laughs> right. Well, also, let's not forget, we've not yet established that this man in York is a doctor of any I kind. Know. <laughs> <laughs> Medical advice. <laughs> it's his black your boots. <laughs> It's his bartender in New York. <laughs> He's just wiping the counter. <laughs> you know what's good for ulcers? Beer. <laughs> <laughs> Mary suggests that Lord Grantham lay off everything until Christmas until Christmas Day. Lord Grantham counters with Christmas Eve, and McGee agrees but says that she will be strict until then. Branson says, then good, they'll have a Merry Christmas as his last memory of Downton. Like... I thought you said you were leaving after the new year. Right. Like, what are you going to do? Sleep the rest of the week? Uh, he was planning to. Yeah. It's kind of sick of these people. Oh, man. That sounds great. Yeah. Sleeping for a week? Mm-hmm. Mm. Just sleep between podcasts. <clears throat> McGee tells Branson not to sound so final, and he's like, I don't. Didn't you see my Ask Me Anything? He says he'll be back one day to see how the village turned out. That's a legit thing. Yeah, it is. Uh, and that reminds Lord Grantham. He's heard from London that the Della Francesca sold amazingly well. Uh, and everyone's very pleased, and they go through. Wow, he finally made a financial choice that didn't backfire horribly for everyone. Yeah, that's right. Like, his jealousy of McGee was the best financial decision he's made in the course of this series. This is why I always say anger is the only reason that I ever get anything done. <laughs> it's the only motivation that never stops. Yeah. In the servants' hall, Carson announces that they'll be getting another footman because he shamelessly took advantage of Lord Grantham's sudden windfall, because God knows when they'll have another one. Yeah. Thomas asks if he heard right and wants to know if he'll give Andy a chance because he wants to play at being Uncle Thomas some more. Apparently. Uh, Daisy says he was very nice. <laughs> and Carson remembers him gadding around town with Danker, but he, Mrs. Hughes says she had no trouble with him, but it's Carson's decision. Yeah. And, you know, Danker's off in the dower house anyway. Christmas, 1924. Uh, we see Andy carrying boxes, so we guess that worked out. Uh, and the kids are all helping decorate the tree. Sippy says thank you to uh, Andy. She's the cutest. She is the cutest. Uh, George isn't bad in this scene. He's no, also but helping he's still, decorate. Look, man, he's always going to be a pale uh, in comparison to Miss Sibby. Yeah, he's always going to be, you know, the Daniel Baldwin of yeah. the situation. <laughs> Again, uh, another argument against inbreeding. <laughs> 
Branson turns the lights on the tree, and Sibby says that it's beautiful. Uh, we then see Mosley and Baxter exiting the Crown and Anchor. Mosley suggests they take a break after the next one, and Baxter agrees, so they head off uh, to the Fountain Inn. So, sounds great. Carson enters Mrs. Hughes' parlor. She tells him to shut his eyes as she's wrapping presents. We spent very little time in the Carson cave. Just pointing this yeah, out. Yeah, that's true. Like, basically just that scene with that Rube Goldberg contraption that he had for decanting. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. What, what we're not seeing is that it's grown to take over, like, the entire room. <laughs> They're going to put it on an, put him on an episode of Hoarders. <laughs> Anyway, he covers his eyes and says he's bought the house. Mrs. Hughes is pleased. Uh, that's nice to know before Christmas. And then she's finished wrapping the gift that she was working on, says he can open his eyes. Carson asks if it'll be a big party for Christmas. And Mrs. Hughes says, just family, including Atticus and Rose. Carson says Atticus's parents won't bother with Christmas. And Mrs. Hughes says, don't start. Yeah. Which, yeah, like, it's why the, should they? Yeah, it's not. They the, are literally Jewish. <laughs> right. They they won't know. They won't bother with Christmas. Like as I is. recognize that in Britain there is this sort of attitude about Christmas, sure. where it's a secular holiday, essentially, a la Harry Potter and every Doctor Who episode, right? Or Christmas but, special. But let's remember what we forget is all of our ancient traditions were actually invented by the Victorians. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. <sighs> Don't start. <laughs> Carson gathers that Rosa Kiss are off to New York in January as Branson goes to Boston and Mrs. Hughes agrees and says she'll miss him. She knows Carson's uncomfortable with him, but she thinks of him as a bridge between them and the people upstairs. Uh, I don't know that Branson would agree with you. Yeah, agreed. Carson says he's used to Branson and Mrs. Hughes says, heavens, don't let him hear you. And it goes straight to his head. And Mosley knocks and asks for Carson. In the library, Carson escorts Molesley and Baxter in. Lord Grantham wants to know what's up, and Molesley says that it's about Bates and asks if they can get a message to him. Lord Grantham says, uh, let's wait until we hear this new evidence, uh, also kind of tipping his hand to the fact that he has his contact information. Right, right. Baxter reiterates for the hundredth time that Bates claimed to be in York the day Green died. Long story short... Uh, they tracked down the pub he was at. Lord Grantham is shocked. Mosley took a photo of Bates, and he, have back, he and Baxter spent their uh, presumably simultaneous days off. Right. Simultaneous and copious. Yeah. Uh, they've been going from pub to pub, uh, which make more sense, because like, when they first showed them, it was like, so they waited six months to implement <laughs> right. this plan? Right, right, yeah. Uh, it's Mr. Salter of the Pickerel. He remembered Bates's limp, which he conveniently had that day, and uh, says that he that Bates almost got angry when Salter tried to help him to a table, and they got to talking and found out they'd both served in the Boer War. And Carson says that if Viner accepts the statement, it would overturn any attempt to prosecute. And Mary says that they'll rearrest Anna, and Lord Grantham says that they must cross that bridge when they come to it. They can't leave Bates on the run when he's an innocent man. And I'm like, what? He specifically chose to be on the run so as to protect Anna. Why are you ruining his whole plan? That doesn't make any sense. Because Grantham knows best. That's why. <sighs> Mike, I, I, I'm t- like Anna is going to get arrested. Mm-hmm. Like because of your actions. Well, they already paid for all those lady murder prison sets. <laughs> Lord Grantham thanks Mosley and Baxter, and he says they can never adequately express their gratitude. Because we're English. Yes. Uh, also, I don't know, pay them some money. We can't do that. <sighs> We've already spent all the Della Francesca money on, <laughs> on that. My, on my ulcer. <laughs> and that Christmas tree. 
In their bedroom, Lord Grantham tells McGee that Murray is certain there won't be a problem once he has the statement. Uh, McGee asks if he's contacted Bates. Lord Grantham can't decide if he should. Uh, McGee says to tell him to come back and contact Murray without saying where he is, or possibly skip the coming back part and contact Murray without yeah. saying where he is. Anyway, Lord Grantham says, poor old Murray, which, what, just that he has an idiot like you for a client? Is I mean, that... look, billable hours are billable hours. Yeah, that's a good point. He says they'll have Murray running a thieves' kitchen before they're finished. They already are. Right. You have a thief in your kitchen <laughs> right now. Regularly. Convicted. <laughs> McGee asks if they'll rearrest Anna, but apparently now Murray says that their witness is having doubts, and so the police know their case against Anna would be shredded in court. Uh, look, I watched that whole documentary and read that whole New Yorker article about <laughs> that dude right. who they convicted of arson. Mm-hmm. Uh, for like killing his children mm-hmm. and I don't believe anything anymore. Yeah, which is a good point. But I also just like that that's, as best I can tell, that's the resolution to this entire season long plot line is that there was a witness to Anna that just changed his mind off screen for no given reason. Uh, the Greeks. <laughs> so that's it. Anyway, um, he says that something else may turn up. God forbid. But until then, Anna will be free. McGee says, thank heaven. Lord Grantham says that he can't stop thinking about Branson leaving. Uh, supposes there's no point in trying to get him to let Sibby stay. And McGee's like, yeah, no point at all. Yeah, uh, he loves his child, unlike you. <laughs> right. This isn't a you and Edith situation. <laughs> she asks how Lord Grantham is feeling. He says, much better. Bored, but better. And McGee says to be careful on Christmas Eve, because he'll get plastered on a sniff of sherry. Uh, he says, paradise. And she says not to make a fool of himself in front of the tenants. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but she's glad that the Della Francesca sold so well. It makes her feel better about spoiling it. Lord Grantham says, there is not now, nor ever will be, anything you have spoiled for me, and kisses her. Aw. Yeah. She says, great, don't spoil Christmas Eve for me. Yeah. Solid point. <laughs> you have spoiled many things for me. <laughs> In the kitchen, people are making punch. A guy shows Patmore a pheasant, which presumably uh-huh. has been hung till high. That one would think. Uh, Mrs. Hughes comes in and is impressed. I mean, they're like, it's pretty rad. Like, they're putting bacon on a turkey, guys. Bacon <laughs> on a turkey. <laughs> and this isn't the modern day where we put bacon on everything. Yeah, this no. is, you know, prescient. That's, Actually, it's not. People did used to lay bacon I, on meats to give them flavor. I no, learned all about listen, it in Little House. There's no books. way they aren't doing something that the Oracle didn't research oh, first. Oh, yeah. Uh, Andy offers Mrs. Hughes some punch, and then Mrs. Hughes says maybe all of Daisy's studies are moving toward her writing a cookery book. Daisy rolls her eyes, and I'm like, why at every turn when people are trying to help you, do you be a bitch? Uh, says Kelly. Listen, I recognize the irony of what I was saying about halfway through me saying it, but I was hoping... You might be kind enough not to say anything. Well, I'll say what I will say is that it strikes me as very familiar. It strikes me because I, you know, I did well in school. You know, I got good grades and everybody was like, oh, you're going to do all these things, blah, 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 blah. And it was like, yeah, it's easier for you to say that you random person that doesn't have to imagine any work going into it or anything like that or the you know the difficulty making those choices and the risk involved and all this sort of thing you're just like oh you're studying you're gonna have so many possibilities the thing i don't understand is everybody thought i was gonna do well because i read so many books Uh and i'm like you know this is just what i do because i don't have cable right (laughs) Right. like this is just still tv (laughs) right and here i am 
uh, podcasting about Downton Abbey. Hooray! <laughs> For free! That's right. So I guess I showed them. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Patmore hopes that Daisy starts the new year with a new determination. Daisy says, uh, you're always the one complaining that my studies keep me from my work. And Mrs. Patmore says, oh, but you know I don't mean it. Which is what everyone in abusive relationships say. <laughs> Mrs. Hughes says anything can happen and it's a wonderful feeling. Daisy's not sure because, again, how old Daisy now? <laughs> right. Like. Nobody knows. At least 27, right? I would think. Well, she couldn't have been. I mean, she had to be at a minimum 13 when it opened, mm-hmm. right? So that's 25. And she definitely did. She looked older than that. Yeah. So, yeah. Mrs. Patmore says she's fine with a bit of extra work and happy Christmas. I'm like, how much of that punch have you had? <laughs> oh, enough. <laughs> uh, somewhere, Murdy is mad at Isabel. Uh, we, yeah, at Isabel's, we think we figured out. Uh, Murdy is mad at Isabel that she is just now showing him that letter she got from thing one. Which is bad form, Isabel. That like, is, I like, understand that you would not want to share that, but. Right. But once you decided not to share it with him. That's the choice mm-hmm. you've made. Burn it like a train ticket. Uh, he, <laughs> <laughs> he says that he resents thing one very much and things can never be good between them again. Isabel says maybe so, but it won't involve her. Murdy asks if anything will change her mind. She says no, but she will think of him with great affection. Murdy says, well, that sounds more final than if you'd spat in my eye. Murdy's mad, guys. He really is. And I really, I mean, we've, you know, we've loved him the whole time. Oh, yeah. But this I mean, is, and look, but I mean... This is a situation you can't even really admirably take either side. Yeah. You know, because on the one hand, she absolutely does not deserve to be subjected to what his sons would subject her to. But at the same time, he's saying, I don't care. Why do you care? But they're both right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He says that he loves Isabel and that he knows he's old and played out, but he loves her with his whole heart. Isabel says that he's not played out, but she won't poison what years they have by setting him against his children. Um, well, see, this is what it is, too. The, it's, is Isabel is being disingenuous be, because she keeps sort of saying that it's about, oh, it would set you against his children, when he's clearly already against them, as he no, just the said. the problem is it would set her against his children. Right, and which is, which is fair. If yeah. she doesn't want that, that's, that's her life. But she won't say that the, she, you know, she's English. She'll never say that it's about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dowager comes in at this moment and asks if she's interrupted a lover's tryst. And Murdy says, thank you for injecting humor into this moment of misery. I must go. <laughs> the Dowager says that she has cut their scene short. Uh, but Murdy says, not really. There was nothing more to say and leaves. The Dowager says that that was rather sad. And Isabel agrees. Yeah, it's very sad. Yeah. Murda Bell. Yeah. Murda Bell. Agreed. Is a Murt. <laughs> <laughs> Anna sits in her cottage looking at her wedding picture. Great. Yeah. In the kitchen, Daisy asks if they are guests or servants. Mrs. Patmore says both, uh, to which I would say you can't be a pimp and a prostitute, too. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Hughes says that they're as good as the tenant farmers. And I would say that the servants at the big house certainly would think of themselves as being above the tenant farmers. For it's precisely this sort of pitting of the lower classes against one another <laughs> that allows capitalism to flourish. Well, the tenant farmers like, oh, those servants are so good. How come they don't know anything about pigs? <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> Carson comes in and asks Thomas and Andy to bring up the food. And Mrs. Carson asks Mrs. Hughes if he can have a word with her later. And Mrs. Mrs. Hughes says, sure, just let me know when. 
Edith is hanging a stocking on Marigold's crib, and Branson comes in to hang a stocking on Sibby's bed. Edith says that she thought it was a good moment to do so while McGee had the kids downstairs. And there's a pause. Edith asks Branson what he's thinking. He says that he's taking photographs with his mind. Edith says she knows she's always ticking off Mary for telling Branson not to go, but she hopes that he knows how much she will miss him. He says he knows how much he will miss them and supposes it's similar. And then Mary arrives, says great minds think alike, and hangs a stocking on George's bed. Somebody must have reminded her that she has a child. (laughs) It was Anna. (laughs) Yeah. Branson asks that they take a moment to think of Sybil, since they're the three left on Earth who loved her the most. Edith says, Mama and Papa, but Branson says, well then, they're the three that should have grown old with her. And bitches get a little bit weepy. Yeah, dude. Mary says that that's true, and Branson adds that, you know, who knows when they will be together again. He takes Edith's and Mary's hands, and Mary says, darling Sybil, uh, and then Edith takes Mary's hand. Causing Mary to essentially do a spit take. Right. Well, no, because you see her be like, get annoyed, and then be like, wait a minute, that's I really have to not be annoyed at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> Um, she says, wherever you are, we send you all our love and kisses for the happiest of happy Christmases. I miss Sybil. Man, she was so great. She was. Why is she so dead? <laughs> no. Um, Lord Grantham walks by the door as Mary finishes and says, Sibby's last Christmas in this house, the house where she was born. Way to ruin a moment. Yeah. Uh, Branson says that they'll be back and Lord Grantham who has started drinking, uh, <laughs> asks if Branson would consider leaving her here until he's settled in in Boston. Branson says that he will not consider it, uh, but he loves the way that Lord Grantham loves her, and Lord Grantham nods, Like a kidnapper. <laughs> and says that they must go down. In front of the tree, the family face out as everybody sings God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. Atticus doesn't quite know the words, but Rose <laughs> helps him, which is really adorable. It is. Uh, Anna's very sad. Lord Grantham says they'll have a break now and invites everybody to have a drink, uh, which advice he clearly has already <laughs> taken himself because he's yeah. specifically telling, like, Anna to have a drink. <laughs> she is nonplussed. He's, like, he's very open. He's like, you get a drink. You get a drink. And I get more drinks. <laughs> That's right. Like, he's drunker than he was in the immediately preceding scene. Yes. Like, yeah. McGee says, some of us have already had a drink. <laughs> Lord Grantham says not to be a spoil sport, which I think is fair. Like, honestly, yeah. if I had to not drink because of an ulcer for six months, I would be hammered by 10 <laughs> in the morning. Yes. Danker takes some punch and Spratt asks what she's doing. And I'm kind of like, hey, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> uh, but she says to Spratt, God, you are a dreary little man, which is tr- like... You know, this is like the weird inverse of the Murdabelle situation because they're both right. And here, Spratt and Danker are both wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Dowager Countess walks up and asks if everything's going well. They both agree. She says she doesn't like dissension. I will not have it, Spratt. And he says, perish the thought. And the Dowager says, let's keep it that way. So this is uh, no more broth. I guess so. Yeah. One wonders why she could not have said that, you know. Months ago? Yeah. But fine they are uh, that look they love spratt uh on this show and uh, i used to love spratt yeah like when spratt was trying to prevent molesley from taking his job that was hilarious that was hilarious that's true no and they thought this was hilarious but it was not hilarious it wasn't it was painful it was petty yeah that's the thing like there was real stakes for mm-hmm. spratt before now he's just being a jerk for no reason anyway 
Rose and Atticus are standing with Mary. Rose says that Atticus looks dazed, and he says he's never had a Christmas before. Mary says that if a Downton Christmas doesn't put him off, nothing will. Which is also their message to the viewers. <laughs> right. Uh, Atticus says it's finally begun to sink in that he's part of two families. Rose agrees, and she thinks it's just lovely, and they smooch. And and what I'll say about this, too, this actually really, like, you know, struck a chord with me. That thing about, like, eventually realizing, you know, when we got married, mm-hmm. that, oh, these other people are actually my family now. Yeah, I still have not accepted that about no, your family. And, well, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. Uh, but also... So many of your uh, relatives would be like, oh, well, if an Anakin family party doesn't put you off, well, then oh, nothing will. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. They do say that. <laughs> they do. Uh, to be fair, one has not yet, so you're doing fine. Yeah. Uh, Andy's having a drink, and Thomas says not to let Carson catch him, although Lord Grantham specifically told him to have a drink, I believe. Yeah, he did. Anyway, Andy says that Mr. Carson seems kind. Thomas says he's fair. No more. Andy thanks Daisy for the drink. She giggles. So maybe Daisy's finally going to get some next year. Yeah. It seems like that's what they're setting like up here. A which sensual, happy relationship. Right. With somebody who seems to be of normal intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not a ginger. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is, this is reasonably promising. The Dowager and Isabel enter a side room, and the Dowager says to close the door and to say that let everybody think that they can't come in. Uh, Isabel says that they can't stay for long, but the Dowager says that they've earned it after the year they've had. Isabel agrees. She says proposals, propositions, not one what expect, not what one expects at our age. But we should, everyone. That's right. Hey, no matter how old you are, somebody should be trying to slip you the salami, ladies. <laughs> here, here. She asks, Isabel asks for the truth about the princess because she knows that the dowager detests her and yet fought very hard to, you know, rescue her from Hong Kong. The dowager gazes at the fire for a moment and then says that Karagan and the princess are in Paris, so she might as well tell her. When she met Karagan, they fell madly in love, and in the weeks that followed with balls and ice skating and the tunes of the balalaika. Uh, you know how sexy a balalaika can be. Uh- no, actually. Yeah, me neither. Please, someone tell me. <laughs> Do you play the balalaika? Do you get laid a lot? <laughs> we want to hear your story. <laughs> and your balalaika. <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, they resolved in the weeks that followed to elope and to be free. At the appointed hour, they started for the prince's yacht, but the dowager's maid betrayed them to the princess, who set out in pursuit caught up to their carriage, and pulled the dowager out. Isabel says, what, by her arm? She says, by her arm, leg, hair, anything. And then flung her into the cab that the princess had come in and sent her back to Lord Grantham. What I think is really interesting is that obviously the princess had been like, I see what's up, and like bought off her maid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is like, you missed it. <laughs> God, I miss her. I know. God, okay, also, season six, can we have her back? I know she's in France, but just, I really want Irina back. Just random scenes unconnected to anything else, just them living in Paris. Oh my God, it's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf in Russian in France. <laughs> wow. Make that's, this happen, Neem. Although that almost, like, that's like the stagiest play that ever stage played. I know. <laughs> what the dump. <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> Be quiet. <laughs> How should I know, Irina? <laughs> <laughs> what is this, the 20s? 
Can they have like a young Coco Chanel over or something? <laughs> I suppose. Something She's w- been giving herself abortions. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, look, it's great. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Isabel says that the dowager must have looked disheveled. The dowager just rolls her eyes and says, men notice nothing. Like, not to be not all men. Right. No, but the dowager this season has been really dismissive of like what men notice and what they don't notice. Mm-hmm. I'm fully willing to believe that in 1924, mm-hmm. men didn't pay attention. Secondly, I would say even more so that in, you know, 1850 or whatever, right. uh, they paid even less attention. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, it's a very convenient worldview for the dowager to have. It is. But I think, you know, I think what we've learned about her late husband is that she that he was very like uh you know I, you know victorian didn't think much of her and yeah. all that sort of thing and she hated it for a long time she eventually came to sort of see his point of view um you know not necessarily agree with it but understand that he was living in the system that he lived in uh-huh. and he had sort of hidden depths or whatever but that i mean i you know i think that he never saw any reason that he should pay much attention to his wife that wasn't what he had ever been taught to do so yeah Anyway, also, how did that go when you uh, met up with your maid to uh, clean up? Right? Yeah. Presumably she got fired. I'd fire the shit out of a maid that betrayed me. I would think. Yeah, go work I'd for- I'd fire the shit out of you for betraying me. <laughs> That's a good point. Like, go work for Arena, you yeah. bitch. Anyway, Isabel says that the princess saved the dowager from ruin, and the dowager agrees, saved her from ruin, from the loss of her children, and from a life in the shadows. She says that within a week afterwards, she felt that the princess had pulled her back from the brink, and now, at last, they're even. This is such a cool story. It really is, yeah. This is the most nuanced thing that they've done, possibly the whole season. Possibly. Well, yeah, so then Isabel asks if the dowager ever strayed again. She replies that she never risked everything again. Isabel says that's not quite what she asked, and the dowager says that it's all the answers she'll get. Remember, we were the Edwardians. I don't know why, but that just makes me really emotional. I know. Because no, it's I not know. the Edwardian age anymore. No, we it's spent not. so much time there. I know. And man, they were dope with their gambling and their wife swapping. Yeah. Like, they were crazy. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, even though she had this Victorian husband, they were living. Yeah. Yeah. What a time. Yeah. Yeah. Hats off to you, Edward and Alexandra. That's right. <laughs> anyway, at this moment, Lord Grantham drunkenly bursts in. <laughs> More drunk Grantham, please. Yeah. Here, here. And says, what are you doing hiding in here? Come on out. <laughs> Mary asks Branson if he's all packed. He says pretty well, but the two of them should go through his office and Mary should take it over and be the estate agent, essentially. Mary says she wouldn't know where to start and Branson says there's nothing he does that she couldn't do twice as well. And doesn't she already know everything that's going on? She does. I also don't think that she could do everything twice as well as Branson. She could at least do it. I'm sure she can handle it. McGee comes up and whispers urgently that Lord Grantham is about to give a speech and it is not a good idea. (laughs) Mary says it was bound to happen. Uh, Lord Grantham says, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) and Branson quickly interrupts everyone and hopes he speaks for everyone in thanking Lord Grantham for the party and a marvelous year. And if you watched uh, this past week's episode of the HBO series Looking, (laughs) yes, this is exactly what should have happened. Yeah. I can't understand. Anytime you see a drunk person about to go do a drunk thing, if you yourself are not too drunk to prevent it, it is your solemn duty to stop them. Agreed. 
Lord Grantham tries to keep talking, so Branson strikes up for he's a jolly good fellow uh, with its weird British verses. <laughs> and Carson asks Mrs. Hughes if it's a good moment. She says if he wants it to be. Lord Grantham tries again to speak, so Branson announces that Mary will now sing for them, accompanied by Edith, and drags Lord Grantham away. Mary sings Silent Night, also oh, with weird British Yeah, tracks. We're like, what is this Silent Night? This yeah. is not what I'm accustomed to. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, yeah, just uh, shout out to Hubonavelle. Um, and in that scene previously where he, where he, he asks if Sippy can stay, even though he already has been told that he can't ask, and even though he knows that the answer is going to be no, but he still just like asks, and he's drunk, and he's just, he's a really good actor. Look, if it weren't for alcohol and greeting cards, none of us would ever say what we mean. <laughs> Downstairs, Carson Hughes enter the Carson cave. Carson declines a drink that Hughes offers him, and Hughes says that it's Christmas and they should toast his new house. Carson says that he should mention it isn't only his house. He has registered it in both of their names because he hates to change a plan when there's no need. Hughes says that she's appreciative, but she can't accept. He asks why not. And she says, who knows what the future holds or how much longer they'll even be there. And suppose he wants to move away. He doesn't want to be stuck with her. Carson says that that's the point. He does want to be stuck with her. Hughes is not convinced she's hearing this right. Carson says, you are if you think I'm asking you to marry me. Hughes says that you could knock her down with a feather, which seems to be true. Carson asks if she's offended, and Hughes assures him that the very last thing she is is offended. Carson says she can take as long as she likes. He's not going to press her on it because he knows that he is not marrying anyone else. Hughes gives him a glass. Carson asks what they're celebrating. Hughes says that they're celebrating the fact that she can still get a proposal at her age. Carson asks if that's it, and Hughes says, Of course I'll marry you, you old booby. I thought you'd never ask. Yeah, and uh, Carson tries not to cry. I hate this so much. I know. But I'm crying. I know. I'm crying talking about it. We completely, we were so ready to be angry when this happened. I am. I, I know but it's also the most adorable thing that ever happened yeah no and i mean it's not clear how much this is a sort of you know boston marriage right right type right. situation but whatever you know what guys i give up i just can't even be cynical anymore yeah well and it's that you know i i mean i guess what i would say is the fact that it is in such this practical area mm-hmm. and it is you know they have been They've been together all these years. They're not going to form another relationship as close as this one ever again. Um, you know, yeah, I guess, I guess we're okay with it Fine. to our, to our surprise. Yeah. Also, you old booby. <laughs> yeah. No, he is like you, Poindexter. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're not going to marry anyone else. No, I'm not. <laughs> it's just you. You nut. <laughs> George goes to marry for some reason. Uh, <laughs> presumably some sort of who's that lady <laughs> i feel a strange pull told you madam <laughs> a pull that can only be expressed by poking things with sticks <laughs> dun 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 <laughs> sibby watches lord grantham tell branson he's gonna miss him he supposes everyone's saying that branson's like uh yeah i'm leaving yeah you've been they've everyone's been saying it for the past year but he says it's not like Lord Grantham to be sentimental. Lord Grantham says, e vino veritas, and explains condescendingly what that means. And right. it's like, Branson's been around the moneyed class like, for a while. Branson's Catholic. He can translate Latin. Yeah. 
And he says he's grown extremely fond of Branson. He says Sybil would be amazed to hear it, but he has. And to remember, he always has a home to come back to. Branson says Sybil would be touched as he is, and he will think of Downton as his home, which would have amazed Sybil. Lord Grantham picks up Sibby and asks what Marigold should call him, and Sibby says, Donk! (laughs) (laughs) The once and future Donk! (laughs) Lord Grantham says, why not? Everyone else does. She can call him Donk, and every time she does, it will remind him of Sibby. Branson tells Sibby, that's a victory. A piano starts up, and Branson asks if it's time to sing. Lord Grantham says, no, he's got something to say. I've got something to say! (laughs) Music is bad. (laughs) Lord Grantham announces that his son-in-law, Mr. Branson, asks for their gratitude to him. Now he and McGee want to repay the compliment. He says Branson has helped down to navigate the modern world and brought it to the good place it's in. But it's time for him to leave, and while they regret it, they wish him and Sibby well. He asks for a round of applause, and people begin singing, Oh, come all ye faithful. McGee asks Lord Grantham how he managed to sound not drunk. (laughs) And he says, Concentration, you forget. I was trained as a soldier, which made us laugh so hard. It did. Look. Uh, yeah. Hugh Bonneville's having such a great time in this episode. Yeah. And I'm so glad because he gets the shit end of the stick <laughs> so often on this show. Yeah. And he's finally able to just ham it up and have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. As everybody sings, the ghost of Jacob Marley looms up. <laughs> oh, wait. That's Bates. Uh, Patmore sees him and he puts a finger over his mouth, so keeping things creepy. Uh, she points out Anna, like, take her, not me! <laughs> uh, he sneaks up behind her and says, happy Christmas, and pulls her aside. She starts to ask him something, but he says, to worry later, for now, let's just have a very happy Christmas. They head off, Bates leaves his cane on a banister... Uh, and embraces Anna. He doesn't just embrace her. He picks her up. Right. With his bum leg. Yeah. And I'm like, has this all been an elaborate hoax? <laughs> what is going on? Are you a 007 type agent? Like, what is happening? It's hard to say. Uh, but in any case, the door swings closed, and that is that. That is the end of Downton Abbey. Series 5. That's right. Who would have thought? No, I I don't know. With the British model of television <laughs> that we'd all still be here Yeah. five years later. And who would have thought among the two of us that we would still be here at the end of this season willing to watch another season it's, of this show? Listen, guys. Literally yesterday, we had a drunken argument about <laughs> whether we should even keep going. Yeah. But I guess we will. We will. Look, you know what? We enjoyed this season more than last season. That's true. Last season was pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was, again, you know, God knows what's going to happen to the bases, you know, like, I, I mean, I can't even imagine or comprehend, but almost everything else this season was reasonably solid. And some of it, the whole Isabel and Dowager thing was more than solid. Oh, yeah. Really good. No, look, there was a lot of great stuff. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it. Sure, we're next, gonna do a whole little. Yeah, we're gonna talk about you know we'll maybe do like a, a a roundup, and also we're gonna talk about the scenes from the American version of the show that were not in the British version of the right. show. So uh, that'll be next week. Yeah, and then FYI, mm-hmm. uh, we're taking off the weekend of uh, the like 14th, March fifteenth. The fifteenth yeah. is the date that it would post. So we're taking that off. Uh, possibly also the following week. We're not sure. <laughs> we're Look, not sure. We're very tired. We'll maybe have our schedule better uh, by the time we do next yeah, week's episode. Yeah, but Mr. Episode. Salford starts on the 29th, so that's definitely happening. 
happening yes at that point yes it is and we'll uh we'll make sure you all know how to get that and get various feeds in places and however yeah, we do gonna all be that great. yeah we're very excited we at are palm cord cast that's right on twitter all right with all that housekeeping oh also we didn't do our segments today right correct. fyi we meant to announce that earlier but uh we you know we just were like it's already going to be a super long episode yeah so just you know we know we're, we're aware we, we and uh you know who knows maybe we'll come up with some five minute stuff for next week yeah. maybe we won't yeah so if there's stuff you want to know let us know yeah absolutely we'd love suggestions for topics because that's kind of the hardest part it is the hardest <laughs> part. all right but now it is time for the final edition of the abby awards for season five yes first we have worst decision which goes to sprat absolutely sprat for making a big deal about this broth for no reason. For no reason. Like, couldn't you have slowly poisoned her with strychnine or something? <laughs> that would have been interesting. Next up, we have Best Evasion. That goes to Diana Clark. Yes. Granted, she was helped by other people. Right. It was a team effort. she kept a, a very cool head in what had to have been a very highly charged emotional situation Yeah. She really had the most difficult task of the, you know, five or six people Which that were involved in that. Which was not just bursting into tears. <laughs> right. So well done, Mrs. Clark. Yes. Uh, we hope you and Daniel will rise above your station in some way. <laughs> Next up, we have Worst Overbite. And that goes to Stoll. Yeah. Being very judgy of people both upstairs and down. Yeah. Uh, not cool, Stoll. No. Not cool. Not at all. Although we never really saw him get his, like, comeuppance per se, but oh well. Next up, we have the Gibson Girl Award. Rose finally takes it. Yes. I think, did she win it at all this season? I'm not sure. She might have. She was wearing some weird stuff. What was really funny about this episode, uh, particularly in the summer months, everybody was sort of wearing the same color palette, like mm. as individual characters. Mm -hmm. And Rose was wearing rose-colored clothes, and Violet was wearing violet-colored clothes. Mm. Yeah. And I was like, weird. Yeah, well, I liked, I, and I remember liking some of the stuff she was wearing that was like, uh, white or, or kind of neutral, mm -hmm. but with like kind of flowers on I it. I loved the scene, uh, at, uh, Blandcaster, mm -hmm. where Lord Cinderby pulls her and Mary and Lord Grantham mm -hmm. and is like, hey, thanks for not exposing my baby mama. Yeah. Uh, but she's wearing this, uh, cream colored dress with red embellishment flowers and there's like a red fringe mm -hmm. and it's so cute. Yeah. She's wearing like pink shoes that match it. It's great. Uh, and you know, she just, she is really, I think she's finally figured out the, uh, the fashions for the next, you know, decade or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she just, she looked amazing. She looked great and mm -hmm. radiant. And so absolutely this one goes to Rose. Right. Catch her in Disney Cinderella. Yes. If, if you like that sort of thing. Uh, it's very blue. Yeah. Uh, if you're feeling a lack of Titanic BS blue <laughs> in your life, that movie seems to have it in uh, Richard Madden's eyes. <laughs> Next, we have the Fashion Backwards Award for Backwards Fashion. And that goes to Mrs. Hughes. Yeah. Yeah. She was wearing some weird shit, although Daisy's like jumper that she was wearing at the end That's was really right. horrible. It was, but I think we decided that that was semi a uniform. Yeah, so it wasn't really her choice, but like just Mrs. Hughes's and I feel like she used to have a really solid game. Uh, no, I remember like when she met that farmer. Yeah, remember? in this and episode, I'm like, oh, yeah. like, get some new clothes. Yeah, get your new husband to buy you some stuff, dude. Well, maybe she will. I yeah, mean, I you certainly know, hope so. She'll be pimped out next season. Next up, the cutest baby award. Once again, yeah. Sibby. Look, guys, As we all know you've all watched it. Right. There is no other choice. Yeah. There is only Sibby. <laughs> right. 
She's great. She is. Uh, presumably, Branson's not leaving. Like we have no idea. I know idea. it's all like he's leaving. I have no idea what they're gonna do. Are they gonna do like a jump forward or? Yeah. Well, he's just gonna come back and he's like, "Well, I was in Boston for a minute, but then we burned this house down and I'm on the run." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't know. I don't know. Because I mean, no. Because Alan Leach seemed like stoked to come back, but they like really seemed to work hard to be like, no, he's definitely leaving. This show, we said it like five hundred times. You know, because we all yeah. knew that uh, Matthew was leaving, and then they left at the last minute. So right. Yeah. Who can say? Yeah. We don't know what the future holds. Yeah. But in any case, if Sibby is gone, she has left an impressive streak of cuteness behind oh, her. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then finally, we have the Maggie Smith scale of Maggie Smiths. And that is a five. This is, you know what? They took her out on top. They did. She was classy as hell about that broth. Uh, <laughs> yes. She had that great story about the Princess Kuragin. Oh, and I mean that story pretty much by itself. Oh, yeah. That yeah. is Maggie Smith at her Maggie Smithiest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. It was. She's just she's just great, man. She's amazing. And uh, another huge part of the reason we keep doing this. <laughs> That's, so. That is true. All right. Well, that's uh, the Abbey Awards for the season. Folks, uh, it's been a real trip. It really has been. From the instant takes till now, it's been a variety of emotions. It has, yeah. Uh, But, you know, we're we're keen to see how Baron Fellows and Neem wrap it up. Yeah. If they're capable of doing such a thing. Yeah, hard to imagine, but... But look, let us not forget, narratively speaking, the first series, tight as a drum. Yeah. Absolutely tight. And there were things left unresolved. Right, right, right. But, you know, you felt... No, I I will say, you know, for all our issues with them, I'm reasonably confident their ability, given a set end date... and I'll say this. The production values on this show cannot be beat. I mean, the quality, even as the writing is ridiculous... (laughs) Yeah. The quality of the writing is not in question. Right. You know, just the cinematography and the costuming and... You know, even the editing and the pacing. Yeah, and the acting. Yeah, for for in with absolutely few exceptions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see where we go. We'll check in on some things next week. That's right. So until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon out. <laughs>